things in life than death. I mean, if you've, if you've ever spent an evening with an insurance salesman, you, you know exactly what I mean. The, the key here, I think, is to, to not think of death as an end, but, but think of it more as a very effective way of, of cutting down on your expenses. This is... It Happened One Year. A look back... At the events, big and small. Famed and forgotten. From the year... 1967. 1967. 1967. 1967. 1967. Hey, everybody. We're doing it again. Oh, my God. <laughs> it happened one year. 1967. 1967. Oh, that was nice. Yeah. So for the first time and the last time. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you might not realize it, but this is the finale. Woohoo! We have finally reached the end yes. of our 1967 journey. And, I mean, let's face it. If you're listening to this, yeah. you've spent any time with this show, Yeah. Uh, I think you know uh, we've both struggled a touch <laughs> with this topic. Oh my god, as we were getting ready for this and I needed to like go back and look at la- or listen to last year's in memoriam. I looked at the first couple episodes we did and I was like, we talked about a potato potato gun? <laughs> Something Okay. The potato war. The port- the, yeah, the potato war. Canoodle. <laughs> that was the potato war. <laughs> Yeah, no, 67 has gone on a long time. As it's this been weird. is airing, I believe this will now be month 14 of season two. So we we really did drag this out. Yeah. And, uh, and look it, I enjoy the show. I enjoy having a good time. I enjoy yeah. talking to you. You too. But listeners, I hope you realize this is the first day of the rest of our lives. <laughs> we can now put this behind us yeah. and finally move on. And by this, we mean this season... Sadly for you all listeners, there's going to be a season three. Yeah, season three will be along shortly. Yeah. I mean, in reality, this isn't even, this is the finale for 67. This Mm -hmm. is the last 67 episode we're going to do that's strictly 67. But if you notice, this is the 99th episode of the show. It's our last double digit episode. Yeah. So so episode 100 will be more of a overall show. Yeah. 94, 67, and all of our, uh, whoever we can get as our guests. Yeah. So, uh, so it's going to be a little different. Can, can we call it, it happened in some years? Maybe. Just that episode? Yeah, that episode will be whatever, whatever it needs to be. Yeah. So we're going to let that, let that live. Let it live its own life. <laughs> so that's exciting. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited to, uh, to see, to get to season three. Yeah. It feels like we've been doing this forever. <laughs> Even though yes, season one had more episodes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it does feel like we've been doing this forever. But it's been great. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think uh, I also want to thank the uh, people who did the intro for mm-hmm. this week's episode, uh, Joe or Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's... Is there one? There might be one that we both do. Maybe we'll see. If Maybe that, we'll if, do it. If that's what you've heard, uh, there you are. We did it. It's been a long time. We've been using the guest intros from uh, mm-hmm. the extensive cast of... Yeah. The visitors to Nova Scotia lately. So, 
Uh, this one we thought, yeah, let's uh, yeah. let's let's go back to let's go back to basics. Let's let's strip it back down. It's the foundation of the podcast. Yeah, Yeezys, Measies. Uh, it happened one year's easy. Yeah, we're good. That's that's where we stand. So yeah, so obviously, if we're gonna wrap up a season, yeah. we're gonna uh, close the book on sixty-seven. Yeah. When we have talked about every single thing that happened that year, anything that you can imagine. Yes. Uh, we did cover, uh, and by that, of course, I I mean five uh, percent of what we had on our list. <laughs> We, we have so many areas we never touched oh, on. Oh, my God. Joe sent me the list today for other purposes, and I could not believe how many things were on that list. Oh. And we didn't uh, cover most of them. Full year lists are huge. And, yeah, we, I, you know, I had a lot of ideas about stuff we would talk about, and we never got around to. But, uh, you know, that's but just instead, how it is. Potato Wars. It was an easy one. <laughs> Go back to listen to episode one. That's a fine episode. It's great. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Look, there's episodes we've done that I don't think are terribly interesting or, <laughs> you know, but I couldn't off the top of my head. I can't tell you what no, they are. No, can't tell you I'm one. I'm pretty sure they're no. all gold. They're all gold. Yeah. yeah. But uh, this one today is, I mean, a staple of our yeah. of our it's show. What we have to do. And of our relationship. Uh, if, if yeah. again, you know us any, any little bit. Yep. Uh, I'm sure I've mentioned on the show before, but we are currently, I believe, in season 17 yep. of our extensive, my lifelong project of doing a super fantasy celebrity death pool. Yep. So, uh, celebrities dying is something that, you know, we talk about a lot. We do. Uh, obituaries are something that we deal with a lot. Yep. And uh, celebrity graves are something we visit a lot. So Very th- into cemeteries. This yeah. is a very big part of, of just what we do for fun. <laughs> Listeners, don't judge us. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, if they're listening, they should know by now, yeah. right? But yeah, so no, uh, the, the death pool rage is on. Yep. Uh, I think it's just superfantasydeathpool.com no, or something. Wordpress.com. Oh, WordPress. Yeah. It's a WordPress. I think the it's blog, just, the follows. I think if you search Super Fantasy Death Pool, you'll find it. Yeah. I think the website is actually Fantasy Death Pool or something. That could be. WordPress.com. It's anyway, not going to be interesting. You'll find it. You shouldn't bother. But no, you it's should. out there. Take a look. A, yeah. Archives. Yeah. Check it out. That may be wrapping up one of these days soon, too. Because <laughs> how long can I do this? Yeah. Right? Like, I'm, I'm staring down the barrel of 44, right? Do I want to be doing this when I'm 50? <laughs> Having done it at that point for tw- half my life? But I think this is not a podcast conversation. <laughs> ah, fair. <laughs> this is my existential crisis. Yeah. <laughs> doing a death pool for 20 years. <laughs> So uh, look, we we could if you want we can. When just I get started a, this pool, Gerald Ford was alive. <laughs> if you want, we could just get on the phone with Mike Mann, Dave Garden, and the four of us can talk it <laughs> out. Talk it out, yeah, yeah, that's true because they're in the death pool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, let's get back on topic because God, we, we have a lot to talk. about. Oh, we have about. so much to talk about, listeners. This is it. This is the in memoriam episode yep. for nineteen sixty-seven. I want to say the original in memoriam episode from ninety-four is the second or third longest episode we've ever done. Yeah. The, this season's, no, 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 the 94 Plague episode. That was 94, right? Oh, yeah, that was the, oh. The India Plague in 94. Yeah, yeah I think that's so. That's the longest episode. That's, yeah. that's the longest one we've done. But Joe and I uh, talking about the pandemic. We really, yeah. The, <laughs> we really we, we talked about the India Plague for about 20 minutes. Yeah. 10 minutes. And I think we did two hours on the pandemic. And we did two hours on the pandemic. So go back and listen to that one in the Enjoy. archives. Bring a hanky. <laughs> so this episode is going to cover all of the... Famous people who died in 67. Yeah. Sarah wouldn't let me talk about literally everyone. No. I would bring up people and she'd be like, not them. No. So, no, we tried. sorry, Bert Lahr. <laughs> Put them up. Put them up. We tried to keep the list relatively narrow, but yeah. what I didn't factor into that is the differential prepara- preparation that we would do. Yeah. Joe says for some of these people that he, like we assigned, just like last year, we split them up. Yeah. 
Joe says that for some of the people that he was assigned, he has one line of notes. I, in total, took, uh, I'm sorry, 16 pages of notes. It took me two hours. Two, this is a huge preparation and for an episode. I'm us. ready, and yeah. I'm here for it. And I found stuff that I think is very interesting. I'm excited to hear it. Yeah. I think, I think you've done too much. Probably. I believe you've gone over. Yeah. 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 So this could be another very, very long episode, or it could be a regular length episode because I go on and on and on, and you uh, keep it it toy. Well, folks, if you can see the runtime right now, uh, and and we're staring down the barrel of hours to come... I don't know. Invite the friends over. Throw should a party. We, should we make this a, is the one. Should we make predictions now about how long it's going to end up being? <laughs> well, I'm the one who edits the show. Well, so, yeah, yeah, but you don't know. If I had a guess, I think this is. I think I think this is the longest episode of this season. Yeah. By a, a fair amount. Yeah. 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 I'm gonna go with. Over and under from last year. Uh, over. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I, I well, last year was like 72 minutes. I thought you is said. Is that right? Something think, like yeah. that. Yeah. 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 Maybe. I'm gonna go maybe. with 78. That's my prediction. Oof. All right, so I'm sorry, folks. That could yeah. be true. Could be true. But there, but so not only though did we have to cover like you know celebrities who died, and there's a lot of significant people who yeah. had long and, and fruitful lives. Yeah. But there are some mayhem style events. Lots of mayhem. And that's where we're going to kick this off. Mm. So one of the things that I always wanted to talk about yep. this season was the space program, and we really didn't, right? Like we talked about no, the outer space really. treaty, yeah, uh, which was something, but like we've only briefly mentioned the Saturn V rocket. I think that pops up in the visitors to Nova Scotia. <laughs> yep, some alien stuff, but we didn't really talk about what's going on with the space program. No. But the, I mean, the key event that year, yep, uh, which happened very early in the year, yeah, was the uh, Apo- the Apollo, Apollo One disaster, yeah. So stop, stop stealing my thunder. I just no. I just wanted to make sure we got the ball rolling. Yeah, here we come. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So I don't want to jump all over your notes. Yeah, I've yeah. got notes on this. Yeah. So yeah. So Apollo One was the supposed to be the first crewed flight of the Apollo program following um, the Gemini. Program. Follow the Gemini program, and it was supposed to fly in February of 1967. Do, what was that supposed to actually do? Just go around the moon? Yeah, it was a little hard to tell, but basically, yes, that was my understanding, is that it's, it was supposed to go into orbit, at least. I don't know if it was supposed to go all the way around the moon or not, yeah. um, but we'll say yes. Okay. Uh, listeners, correct us if you yeah. know that we're wrong. Because I, mean, um, I think all, like... The, the the moon mission's 11, yeah. so I think all of them were some form of going around the yeah. moon. Or The whole point doing, is yeah. to get us to the moon. Right, and right. so It was a staged thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so, yeah, but on January, I think, 27th, during a test on the, on the uh, landing area or whatever, the crew was inside the Apollo 1 uh, craft. I should really have better words for this. Um, but it, it caught on fire, and they all died. Yeah. Inside, it was really horrible. Um, the three people who died were Gus Grissom, Ed White, and Roger Chafee. Um, what I did think was interesting is that uh, when they selected the original primary crew, um, the third guy was supposed to be a guy named Don F. Eisel, but he dislocated his shoulder twice on the like uh, anti gravity thing, oh. so he couldn't fly. And so those stories of like I was almost on a nine eleven flight, or right, I was right. on, you know whatever Near is us, yeah. is is uh, I find interesting. Yeah. But yeah. There was like a fire caused essentially 
a number of things kind of came together to create the fire, but essentially, as I understand it, it was like a surge of electricity and an issue with some vulnerable wiring. Um, but then because of a number of factors about the chamber itself, they couldn't get out. Right. And so, you know, they try. you, you could Because the fire was just inside. inside. It wasn't the whole thing. The whole thing didn't explode. No, yeah. no, no. It was just inside. You could tell that they tried to get out, but it was a number of things. It was, you know, basically it was what, what they call like a pure oxygen so that the cabin had been filled with pure oxygen which converted as the fire quickly to carbon monoxide and basically they all died from carbon monoxide poisoning yeah um not even the burns but they yeah that was there not was great. no air left there was the, no air left yeah. yeah there was a bit of combustible material in there there were all these stories about how like they had identified that there was too much combustible material and they were supposed to take it out but it didn't all get taken out essentially the the crew had taken a picture when they were like reviewing some of the like nylon and stuff that was supposed to be in the chamber with like a um sculpture or whatever of the of the chamber of the what's the it called the, yeah, the module. The three of them like praying and looking at it because, and it was like a joke, and they gave it to the guy who was supposed to certify it, mm. and then they all died, which is not great. Not no, great. Bad work. Um, and then they hadn't really planned any escape plan because it was considered like a non hazardous. Um, test because there's no fuel there were no the the pyrotechnic and cryotechnic systems weren't engaged right so there was basically yeah this what, wasn't part of a launch or something no this was... it's what they classified as non-hazardous yeah. so so they didn't really do any like rehearsals or preparation or whatever for if something went wrong or a fire uh, happened and so so they weren't prepared so yeah so they all died um which was awful there are a lot of like there are a number of ways that these guys are honored, right? They're one. There are actually quite a few astronauts who have died in the line of duty, um, but there's lots of memorials and plaques and and things. They all three got craters on the moon named after them, oh. and hills on Mars. Oh, so it's nice. all over the place. Um, there are schools named after them. There's lots sure. of stuff named after them. Um, they all have gotten the Congressional Space Medal of Honor, um, but they gave it to uh, Gus Grissom first, and then the other guys got it like twenty years later. Yeah, I I think. Gus Grissom's name is the one who's always yeah. mostly because he I don't know if he was all was he one of the like test pilots from or what, what why was, why was he more famous than them he did know, other stuff well right? first he was like the commander of the mission they were ranked oh. the, the three of them but it would have been his third space mission so he oh. would have gone up tw- uh, twice it, before so he was in the Gemini. Probably. Yeah, but yeah. so was Ed White. It would have been his second time huh. to space, and Roger Chafee's it would have been his first. But okay. like, I think they had different roles within the mission, and he was the commander as well. That makes um, sense. So yeah, I think that has has like the differentiation has sort of faded over time, just because you know all three of them died. So. Right. Um, but it's just I, I think you know like everybody knows Neil Armstrong, and most mm-hmm. people know Buzz Aldrin. But the third guy who didn't get to the moon, most people don't know his name. Yeah. Even though he's part of the mission, yeah, so I totally. think that that's you know maybe I don't know what was done in the Gemini missions exactly that was so yeah. different or revolutionary or whatever that like you would know some of those people's names and not some of the other people. Right. So. Right. Michael Collins. Oh third, yeah, he was the third guy. Oh look at you! Poor Michael Collins had to stay up in the well done up in the thing because he never he didn't yeah, he, he didn't wasn't get part to, of the lander. How frustrating must that be? You can see the moon. Oh, you're suck. on the you're yeah. on the freaking moon yeah. and you can't like go onto the moon. Yeah, and you see like the videos of it, like they you know because they had to you know he had to meet back up with them and everything and yeah. like yeah that must have sucked. Like they're walking <laughs> on the moon and he's just traveling around. Yeah, it's, oh it's a shame. Oh hey look at that moon. Hard looks, times looks nice. Yeah.
But he did get that uh, that movie made after him about Liam Neeson fighting in the Irish <laughs> Revolutionary Army. <laughs> I was going to say that that was the same name. Different um, Michael Callan. Do you think he was like uh, Jimmy Fallon in Fever Pitch when who someone like runs oh, on yeah. the field? He goes, is it squishy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just, oh, what was the moon like? It, <laughs> it smells like chalk. It was awesome. <laughs> it was yeah. awesome. Yeah, uh, so yeah, good. so um, mayhem number one, the Apollo one mission, the yeah. Apollo one uh, disaster. I remember that that sequence taking place in the first Man movie the, yeah. from a couple years ago, um, yeah. which was a, I think a better movie than people gave it yeah. credit for. It was a little dry because it's so much science, but mm-hmm. but I remember that sequence was pretty good. I don't, yeah. I can't think of another movie that really covered the was Apollo that that missions. Movie wasn't there a TV a, like a mini series about it that we watched? Oh, I never the, from the that Earth to the Moon. On, yeah, that was I'm sure it was included, but I don't remember. I don't remember watching much of that. That was from ooh, 20 years. Maybe ago. Maybe I'm just remembering watching the first Man movie. Did we watch that at home? But you can go. We saw it, First but... Man in IMAX because they filmed Jesus. they filmed the whole moon sequence in the yeah. with IMAX cameras. I don't remember that. It was like. 2017 maybe mm-hmm. something like that i feel like i remember seeing this sequence like this fire in something yeah uh, maybe it was that it could have i mean I'm, I'm i'm fairly sure they covered it from the earth to the moon but that was a that was in the late yeah. 90s or i think maybe i thought there was, was something more recent yeah yeah um but yeah so that's you know i always wanted to talk about apollo one just because it was such a yeah. like a monumental event and the idea that like this didn't really slow down the moon mission at all like yeah. not really right because yeah. i mean what is it a matter of 20-some months later, they're on the moon. I mean, like they did 28 some, months. The so. interesting thing is they did some investigations and, like, you know, Congress looked into it, all, all of that. And they found some things. And then there was this, like, suspicious line in the article about it that was like, and they just concluded none of that had anything to do with the fire. So they were <laughs> yeah. basically like, eh, that just happened. Let's just keep going. Let's just yeah. keep going. I um, mean, it was just, there was such a manic push to get to the moon. It yeah. seemed like they were like, well, we can't let this slow us down. What are you going to do? Kind of grim. Yeah they, yeah. they, like, didn't use that, like, that um, launch pad. That's yeah. the word I was for that launch pad except for like apollo 7 i think was launched okay. from there and then it was so th- so that's good i guess but okay. that's nothing like yeah. that's not a- that sounds like superstition more than anything right else. Like, right yeah. right yeah. yeah well if you want to talk superstition and conspiracy theories yeah one thing i want to transition over to another story that <laughs> it's grim to say how much i like this story because okay. the guy does die but yeah. i think it's fun because there's a lot of weird post details about it fun. so for our Australian audience, oh, no. I'm sorry. We're going to talk about the late Prime Minister Harold Holt. <laughs> uh, so Harold Holt uh, was elected in '66 in that I, I think British parliamentary way. So I, I'm not exactly sure if he was elected, elected, or if yeah. he was just the appointed head of the right. of the party. Of the right? party. But he's only the party head for like a year. And I, his run as Prime Minister, I look at. I don't really understand a lot about Australian politics or what the things they have to deal with. Yeah. But they're a big English speaking country, so they had a lot of ties to the. Uh, yeah. You know, the UK into America. Yep. Holt was apparently tight friends with LBJ around this oh, time. Nice. So that's all fun, right? He's the head of state, right? <laughs> He's the president essentially of that country. Yeah. Right? So you would think precautions will be taken for this person's safety. <laughs> more than any other person in the country. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And yeah. like how could anything go wrong? Yeah. Right? Well, Harold Holt was somebody who seemed to enjoy uh, spearfishing. Sure. He enjoyed getting out in that ocean. Love it. Mixing it up with them fish. Yep. Just the thing a man did, right? Sure. So, December of 1967. Yeah. Off the coast of Victoria. He's out there just like splashing around in, sure. in the wakes like you do. Yeah. And there was one person with him, so it's not like he's completely alone. Yeah. But again, prime minister of the country. Sure. You would think a couple people are around. Yeah. Right? Keep an eye on him. So, he's out there with a buddy. They're, you know frolicking and whatnot. Yeah. Holt starts to go out from 
the coast a bit from the from yeah. the, the shore. Is he in a boat? No, he's swimming. Oh. They're out swimming. You spe- you you. Sp- I don't know if he was spearfishing or if oh. he was just out swimming. Got it. But Got he en- again, he enjoyed just being in the, in water. the water. He's yeah. a water guy, you mm-hmm. know, and he claimed that he knew this beach and this area like the back of his hand. Mm. This isn't his first time. No, nope. he's not just going out in in the wake for the first you know, out in the yeah. surf. He knows what he's doing. Dealing with the the salty air. He's out there. He's he's a professional. Do you know not to? Is he wearing a life jacket? Well, uh, I'm going to assume not. And the okay. reason is, uh, Harold Holt disappears Yeah. Uh, on this day, December 17th. Uh, his friend claims that he was some distance from the shore where he was. That his friend was closer and swimming and whatnot. Yeah. And that Holt maybe was got in a riptide or something yep. and gets pulled out, right? Uh, Harold Holt never reappears. Oh, Jesus. So his body is gone. And, and he's just presumed dead some days later. Yeah. And that's it. That's the Harold Holt oh, story. Oh, my God. But... The fun part of this is oh God. Harold Holt, because he disappears the way he does, yeah. and again, he's the leader of the country, yeah. uh, a number of conspiracy theories uh, sure. crop up. Also yeah. considering the time when this happens, December of 1967. Yeah. Now, he was friends with Johnson. There's no real concrete reason for this, except for the fact that this takes place in 67. Yeah. But one of the rumors is that the CIA has him killed. <laughs> sure. Because that's just what the CIA was doing that's at what, that time. Yeah. They're tied up in everybody getting yeah, killed. Yeah, exactly. JFK, RFK, uh, MLK. <laughs> Holt. Holt. HH. <laughs> so, like, that's a rumor out there. But yeah. my favorite rumor. Yeah. Uh, which largely springs from a book that everyone has discredited. But I still think it's pretty fun. Uh, the book called "The Prime Minister Was a Spy," Ooh. written by a man named Anthony Gray in 1983. Yep. Gray claims that Harold Holt was a Chinese double agent, Ooh. just from growing up, I guess, and he spent some time in sure. China, and that he doesn't die. Yep. He was collected by a Chinese submarine, sure. and lived the rest of his life in Beijing. <laughs> That's an actual book that someone wrote that everyone is like, there is literally nothing to back this up. Yeah. But I like that this man, uh, Anthony Gray, <laughs> yeah. just t- took it upon himself. I, guys, I've got I've got an idea. Yeah. I don't think it was water, even though he was swimming in water. Right. And, you know, t- yeah. you know all the But he the was risks. such an expert yeah. that he swam to the submarine waiting for him off the coast. Ooh. And then was uh, was picked up. Yeah. And then I guess went and gave all these Chinese How secrets. How do you get picked up by a submarine without coming out of I, the water? I'm pretty sure submarines have to surface for anybody to get on right. the submarine. I'm pretty sure. Right. But I right. mean, I, It's know. like, it's, it have to be like... Uh, open container in with water, right. closed container, and, and yeah, somehow somehow the water goes right. out. But like, like in space, when they do these kind of yeah, things, yeah. there has to be the little compartment to yeah. get repressurized. Yeah. But he I has don't know. to hold his breath that whole time. Well, like, he was an expert, mm, so was familiar with the water. Look, I don't know who this gray character is. Anthony Gray. I call bullshit. Yeah, most yeah. people did uh, <laughs> as the book came out, and uh, uh, most people were like, "No, no, sir, this is not true." Do not malign our good friend Harold Holt. Uh, but you know who never turned up to uh, refute this in person? Harold Holt. Harold Holt. Yeah. yeah. Who was probably uh, living in a, in, in, a, in a red mansion in yeah. Beijing. Yeah. Yeah. Could well, be alive to this day. That could He could have died in a mayhemy way, uh, or he could not have. Yeah. But someone that we know died in a mayhemy way. Ooh. Uh, a little guy named Mohammed bin Laden. <laughs> Name familiar? You heard of him? Yeah. No, you probably haven't. Who is Mohammed bin Laden? Mohammed bin Laden is, as you can guess, the father of Osama bin Laden, mm. who was not a great guy. You really believe this story? Osama bin Laden? What did Osama bin Laden do? <laughs> 
Well, I don't know if you heard about a little thing called 9-11. Heard of it. Heard of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, Mohammed bin Laden, mm-hmm. he was a, a billionaire businessman. He, like, grew up poor, uh, but he got into construction. Oh. And he was, like, the... He, they called him the royal builder. So, he, he did a lot of construction projects in Saudi Arabia. He was born in Yemen, okay. but lived most of his life in Saudi Arabia. He was, at one point, the richest non-royal... Uh, in the country. Oh. A uh, really successful dude. Made the Bin Laden family prestigious, which I think Osama was managed to ruin his legacy, it, I would say. The name doesn't hold yeah, up the same now. Up the yeah. Yeah. Um, his, some of his eldest sons started, like, turned... Dave Bin Laden. Dave Bin Laden. <laughs> yeah. um, did, like changed the name of his company and called it the Bin Laden Brothers, like, construction. Oh. That's, a, that's a true BLB. story. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, dude did, he was prolific. He had, now, the the stories on him, the information on him is, there's a lot of conflicting data, so I'm mm. going to tell you what I know, okay. but, like, I also read data that was different, but roughly yeah. 11-ish wives, Ooh. somewhere from 11 to 23 wives. He was a coxman. Yeah, he yeah. did He did well. Yeah. He The story was he has three wives and the fourth one rotates. Most of the data I saw said he had 11 wives oh, total and, in his life. And on the fourth, every fourth weekend, there was a yeah, new yeah. wife. Yeah. There's a new wife, yeah. yeah. But some people say that, like, when he died, he died in a plane crash. Some people say that when he died, he was on his way to marry wife 23. So oh. I, I, I couldn't piece that data together. But he had, had a lot of wives. He had uh, uh, 52 children. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That uh, is getting it done. Osama was one of them. So the funny thing I always thought was the, the there was always that little conspiracy thing which maybe maybe it's not even a conspiracy straight true but after 9-11 yeah that like there were a bunch of bin laden relatives in oh. in america or in new york and they were like ferried out yeah they weren't held and questioned or whatever but i didn't realize there were that many siblings so maybe why would they know yeah <laughs> like if you totally. have 50 siblings yeah you're like, not gonna call everyone and update them hey, on your 9-11 plans yeah. don't go to boston yeah <laughs> Bad stay news. away from logan yeah. yeah uh it's not gonna be good for you so yeah uh osama's mom was Either his 10th wife or his 22nd wife. Again, unclear. Bitsy. Bitsy Bin Laden. (laughs) Bitsy Bin Laden. She was like a... Apparently, the way the article read is like she didn't dress like, you know, typical women of the time. Bikinis. She wore Chanel pantsuits. Ooh. Very fancy. Fancy pants. But yeah, apparently he was on his way to marry his 23rd wife or his 11th wife. I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, And his plane crashed upon landing and he died. Osama was 10. Oh, but it, his plane didn't suspiciously crash off the coast of Victoria, Australia, did it? Uh, not that I'm aware of. Ah, okay. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. Uh, he died on uh, September third, nineteen sixty-seven. Oh, no, it's not that 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 math doesn't match up. No, no, my no, my numbers don't have that. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a shame. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, but like, would so <laughs> to project forward? Mm-hmm. Had Mohammed bin Laden lived? Because yeah. no, he must have been what he couldn't have been that old. Right? No, so he lives. Do you think his parental uh, influence on his 52 children prevents 9-11? Uh, no. This plane crash does not prevent 9-11. No, no. And here's why. Too many children. Like, oh, one of them's going to turn out to be a, a yeah. terrorist bastard? Just the odds. One of them's going to crash planes into buildings in the U.S. Like, that's yeah, just that's what's going to happen. Yeah, that's just the way it was going to be. Yeah. yeah, when you have that many, you can't, you just can't. You can't spend enough time with all of them. Right, yeah. Because even if it's a minute a day, that's taking yeah. up almost an hour. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. hard. Can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right. I guess we've uh, we've solved that one. Uh, the only other... Oh, no. We have a couple more mayhem deaths. Oh, we? yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, we're oh, not I, done I, yet. I thought for a second we were no. we were there, but I paired these together because they were yeah. both uh, big celebrities who died in mayhem ways, but I didn't want to like dwell on it too much because it's sad, I think. I, yeah. Unlike some of the more hilarious ones, Yeah. Uh, I think that uh, this was a little different. So uh, Jane Mansfield died in 1967, mm-hmm. who... 
I was an actress and she was a model, but I wonder, like, who is her modern equivalent? Because she was an actress, but she wasn't, like, a star because she was an actress, right? Yeah. Like, she was pretty and she was, yeah. like, famous for, like, being busty. That's basically yeah, yeah. Jane Mansfield's whole thing. Was she, like, a pinup? Yeah, but, like... But in the late 60s, like, I'm not sure... Yeah. You know what I mean? She's just kind of a Marilyn Monroe knockoff, yeah. I guess. But but she was in movies. Like, she did... She was in... I don't know. Not bad movies, I suppose. But she's in Will Success Spoil Rock Hunter, which was a fairly successful movie. Yep. Uh, that does have a great Groucho Marx cameo. So that is the only Jane Mansfield movie I've ever seen. Uh, I'm a Rockwell Hunter, Miss Rockwell Harlow. Rockwell Hunter? His name sounds influential. His name only so happens to be Rockwell Hunter. What do you do? Hmm? Um, I work for a LaSalle Jr. Raskin, Pooley, and Crockett. Uh, the advertising agency? Oh, those names! How crazy influential. <laughs> um, she's also in The Girl Can't Help It. And she was the first mainstream actress to do a nude scene in a movie. Oh. In a movie called Promises, Promises in 1963. I don't think it's like a real... I, I think it's a very brief... Yeah. tasteful kind of nude scene. It's like, not like, was that a nipple I just saw? That kind right. of thing? I don't yeah, think yeah. it's a real, you know, ex- exposed type yeah, situation. Yeah. But um, but she was also kind of like surrounded in scandals. Yeah. Um, you know, there were always rumors that she was also kind of screwing around with the Kennedys and, yeah. you know, lads of the time who were doing this sort of thing. And then, you know, she dies in a car accident that was kind of a famous-ish yeah. Death, too, because there was all sorts of weird rumors around that that I don't think were true. That, like, she was in a... It was like they were in a convertible that crashed into a truck, the back Ooh. of a truck. And so the pictures were of the, the car completely, like, cut off at yeah, the yeah. top. And people were, oh, she got her head cut off. But I don't think... None of that seems to be true from the stuff I read. Yeah. But, you know, it's I think it's just odd because she's famous in such a, a strange way that, like, I think if you weren't alive then, you'd almost kind of be like, but who was she? Like, yeah. why was... You know... Even in, like, we'll express Spoil Rock Hunter, she's, like, the third lead. She's not, yeah. like, this is a Jane Mansfield movie. It was just sort of a comedy that she was in, you know? And, again, like, making movies at that time, she was almost, like, like one of those Swedish actresses that would just pop up and stuff in English-language movies that really couldn't act because... Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? They were just pretty, and they were just kind of there. Yeah. So I almost think of her like that, but... Um, but she's uh, she's Mariska Hargitay's mother. She was, oh, yeah. She was married to Mickey Hargitay. So, yep. And, and Mariska Hargitay looks very much like yeah. her, so you can kind of see that. Yeah. Um, but she was married a bunch of times. You know, She dies in her 30s, but she had five kids because that, wow. that was the 60s. Uh, and a fun uh, fact that I found was that they think her uh, famed bosoms uh, were actually a major force behind the uh, revolutions in uh, Brazier technology oh. in the 50s. Sure. So, I mean... I'm guessing, you know, that that's... I yeah. mean, that might be giving her too much credit. I mean, Marilyn Monroe had some famous bosoms around this time. But but not, I think, to the point of Jane Mansfield's. Uh, tough for me to weigh in on that. This has been Boob Watch. <laughs> We've recently been talking about how the show cannot introduce Boob Watch as a thing, but honestly, Here this, it is, is, that's this a, is where the research led me. That's his, that's his best... Uh, that's the best intro we could have had for that. Right, so. right. Boob watch time. Um, but I did pair this together be, uh, as in trying to figure out what to do with the mayhem yeah. deaths uh, with Otis Redding. Oh, yeah. Who died in a plane crash in December of uh, 1967. Uh, he was only 26, so there's Ooh. not there's not a ton of life yeah. lived at that point. So there's not a ton yeah. really to talk about with Otis Redding. I think he becomes more famous later because 
uh, sitting on the dock of the bay was recorded three days before the plane crash. No way! Yeah, so the song comes out after he's already I did dead. not know that. Yeah, it was really close. And that sounds like a song about life, yeah, right? Yeah. I would have never guessed that guy was 26. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he was pretty young. Um, but he had a couple kids. His son actually just died. Otis Redding III died like... Oh, really? Yeah, like uh, a couple weeks ago or maybe a week ago. It was recently. But yeah, he's you know most famous for sitting on the dock of the bay, try a little tenderness. Um, his last major concert performance was in June at the Monterey Pop Festival. Oh. He had some sort of um, like a throat condition that he had to have surgery on, so that's why oh. he was out of commission for most yeah. of the rest of the year. And uh, his plane crashed near Madison, Wisconsin, Lake Monona. Monona. Oh. And uh, they don't actually know how or why the plane crashed. There was no, it wasn't a weather thing. Yeah. They they like a couple minutes after takeoff. So, oh. so that was Otis Redding. All right. Yeah. Well, I've got some more mayhem for you. Mayhem. Although from a, like, it, you know, we talk about artists and we talk about musicians and we talk about... Mohammed bin Laden? A, a, more like Mohammed bin Laden than anybody else. Okay. Uh, I also want to talk about George Lincoln Rockwell. Yes. Who died on August 25th, 1967. Uh, like all of the listeners right now, I would like to ask, who is George Lincoln Rockwell? <laughs> Why? Yeah. Is he the Mohammed bin Laden he is. of this corner of the conversation? Well, uh, George Lincoln Rockwell founded the American Nazi Party. Uh, so also, not a great dude. No. I did appreciate that his parents were both vaudeville actors. Ruh-roh. <laughs> 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 they had a shtick. Yeah, that went they real were opening for W.C. Fields? Real sour. It went real sour <laughs> for them. Uh, <laughs> but he is credited, hey, <laughs> he's credited with influencing many of today's white supremacists. Yeah. So. But you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. Way to go, George. <laughs> and his parents influenced uh, some fine 30s comedians. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, he was born in 1918 in Bloomington, Illinois. Ooh. So he's a local. Yeah. Uh, he spent some time in the Navy. He did. He got married and he really had a bad relationship with his in-laws because they didn't raise his wife to be observant mm. and enough and submissive enough. <laughs> they uh, didn't raise her in the Nazi traditions? They didn't. Yeah. Uh, he was, as you can guess, very into Hitler. Oh, uh, <laughs> checks out. He did. He was in the Navy for actually most of his life. He was in the Navy. Um, they say he was influenced. Uh, his ideas around communism were influenced by uh, Senator McCarthy. Oh, <laughs> his ideas around uh, Jews and media and entertainment was were influenced by Her- uh, Henry Ford. Ooh, uh, not, and not good. His perspectives on race, in addition to obviously Hitler, were influenced by. Charles Lindbergh. Oh so my God. it's like he picked all the yeah. wrong people to pay attention to. And weirdly, I think there's a poster of him hanging up in Clarence Thomas's house. Isn't that true? Because <laughs> he's he's anyway. <laughs> if not Clarence Thomas's, then certainly uh, what's that guy's That's name? That's why I mentioned yeah, Clarence Thomas. Son of a gun. <laughs> I'm not keeping modern Nazis in my Whoever brain. Whoever that Republican that's bankrolling Clarence Thomas. Yeah, um, yeah. he's Ginny Thomas's godfather. <laughs> George Lincoln. <laughs> Oh, no, that's probably true. Um, He did. I have a quote from uh, Mr. Rockwell. He did spend a little bit of time in advertising. Mm. He said, when I was in the advertising game, we used nude women. Now I use the swastika and stormtroopers. You use what brings them in. Oh, boy. Uh, uh, So 1960, he was discharged by the Navy because of his political (laughs) activism. And let me tell you, getting discharged from the Navy, maybe back then. Yeah. uh, But today, that that would really take some doing. (laughs) They described him as non-deployable. 
Yeah. Because <laughs> he was uh, such a monster. Because he would go into battle and turn on his own Yes, 100%. And, yeah. uh, so he did, you know, his activism was a lot of rallies and demonstrations and picketing, like all the things that you would expect. He once gave uh, his a member of his party a medal for punching Martin Luther King Jr. in the face. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, the MLK punching medal. Yeah. Wow. He wanted to help the Klan out during the civil rights movement, but thought the Klan wasn't modern enough for a good race war. <laughs> so he thought the Klan wasn't quite doing the you job. Know, the Klan is not taking this far enough. Yeah, it's not going well. I did like this. He would started a record label. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> this is not funny, but he started a record label. Goering Hits. I could only find... It was the name of it. I, I can't pronounce the name of it, but it was a play on the word Hootenanny. Okay. Um, and the, uh, what I was reading about listed one band called mm. Otis Cochran and the Three Bigots. Oh my God. And they had a bunch of songs and I literally can't say the name of any of the songs yeah, no. because they all have the N word in them. Yeah, Every single one. It's not good. I like at least they were upfront about it. Yeah. Cause like if you go to a bar and it's like, oh, there's a band tonight and you'd be like, oh, they're the Starlighters or whatever. You'd be like, yeah. I don't know what they're about. But you're like, oh, the Three Bigots are playing tonight. That's it. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm going I, home. I know what they're here for. Yeah. Gomer uh, Piles on the tube. I don't want to, uh, yeah. I'm not checking this out. Not great. During the time of the Freedom Riders, he wanted a counter plan, and so he he took a VW uh, and made and decorated it with white supremacist ideas and called it the Hate Bus. So <laughs> wait, he a, took a VW bus and just turned it into a Hate Bus. Hate Bus, man, that guy's yeah. all over the place. It's like the counter to the Freedom Riders. Yeah. But he was shot and killed. Thank God. In August of 1967, <laughs> I wish I had a better story about it. Though you would think, oh, someone, this guy's terrible. Yeah. So no, no, he was shot by someone who he had expelled from the Nazi party uh, for being too extreme. Well, so he was shot by he shot he. There was somebody too extreme. Yes. Oh my God. Uh, he, the the person was apparently trying to infuse Marxist ideas into the oh, Nazi party. That's and taking he it was, too far. He was yeah. not having that so yeah. he expelled them and then that person killed yeah. him yeah. uh but uh you don't not... have any follow-up on who that who that hero of uh of democracy was i mean i can hang on i mean i would assume it doesn't matter if he if he's too extreme it's that's yeah it's there, best that guy's out of, out of there wasn't a ton on him other than the fact that like he got yeah. um this is his claim to fame yeah, yeah. he got he's the charged, coward robert Ford. like it was yeah. pretty obvious that he did it uh, he was killed uh, while leaving a laundromat in Arlington, Virginia, oh. uh, by a guy named John Patler, oh. uh, who was convicted of his murder, sentenced to 20 years in prison. Um, oh, this I did like this fact. Appear, upon hearing of his son's death, his father was like, he literally said, I'm not surprised at all. I've expected it for quite some time. <laughs> yeah, checks uh, Yeah, His father, the vaudeville performer, Shecky <laughs> Rockwell. <laughs> yeah, Shecky Rockwell. Yeah. Uh, he was a source of inspiration uh, for David Duke. Oh, so sure. that's... Uh, pretty obvious, but yeah, not uh, not a great guy. Oof. Oof. Well, I'm glad. I there, I always thought of doing an episode on that guy, but I was always kind of like, that's too much like, <laughs> writing the description for yeah. that, we're going to get yeah. searches that are horrible. Oh, like, horrible. We're bringing the wrong element yeah, to yeah, the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Though so, there are a lot of, while he did terrible things and was a terrible guy, has yeah. terrible ideas, there were a lot of fun facts about him. Sure. I think it's kind of hilarious that he was killed in a laundromat, <laughs> which is, that's always fun. He was leaving um, the laundromat. Sure, clearly. after wa- yeah, after yeah. washing the swastika out of his socks. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, let's pivot away yep. from all of the mayhem yep. and all the whatnot. Yep. Uh, just normal people, just, you know, beloved celebrities. Yes. I wanted to kick this off with a person who I believe you've mentioned a number of times you think uh, is this is a fictional character. <laughs> Uh, Basil Rathbone died in 1967. Uh, uh, he's a Sherlock Holmes like villain, Basil Rathbone. He played Sherlock Holmes <laughs> himself. <laughs> You're right. Perfectly, thank you, old fellow. But I think this gentleman on the floor requires some medical attention. We must see that he looks his best, you know, when he's hanged. But he does. His real name does sound like, yeah. and I think this is why, like, 
his career became playing a lot of... He played a lot of villains yeah. like throughout his career. Yeah. And weirdly, one of the only real heroic characters he played was Holmes, yeah. uh, which is odd. But yeah, I think it's that like he has that kind of British, you know, dark kind yeah. of look. So he ended up playing like bad guys a in like Robin Hood and he played the son of Frankenstein at one point. You know what is like occurring to me, though, just now as we're talking about this, that I do wonder if some of the reason I think he's not a real person is because in some 90s like British spy like maybe an Austin Powers type movie yeah there was a character called Basil wasn't like the British guy who like brought Austin Powers back called Basil well Michael York played Basil Exposition remember and he just tells him all the stuff yes yes yes. but he's a good guy right well I don't think this guy was a bad guy but this is why I think you think he's a fake because Basil's not a real name right yeah yeah that's fair. You can cut that if you want. Sure. <laughs> um, the Great Mouse Detective isn't his name Basil? He's not. He's not Sherlock Holmes, the Disney cartoon. Possibly. Because um, there's a Basil of Baker Street, but I can't think what that is. Is yep. that from the Great Mouse Detective? I have no idea. And that's named after Basil Rathbone. You like, think for sure? Like it has to be right. Like, but I think Basil's a fairly common British name. Is it? I don't know. I think I at least know. it used to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I don't know, like a woman named Gertrude. Like back in the day, oh. this was a common thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but no, Basil Rathbone is, I mean, he's most associated with Sherlock Holmes now. I, I would say, again, he dies in the 60s, but he was a big movie star in the 30s and 40s. So, yeah. like, it's hard to say. But he wasn't Jimmy Stewart. Like, he doesn't have yeah. something that I think people watch all the time and yep. would still recognize in that way. But, but yeah, I mean, he played he played in a lot of adaptations of books and things. Like, he was in, like, Anna Karenina. And he was nominated for an Oscar for playing Tybalt in Romeo and Juliet. Oh. But that's the Romeo and Juliet where everybody's old. Oh. <laughs> so his Tybalt, he's 40 when he does it, which is, <laughs> feels kind of weird. That's uncomfortable. Um, he also played Louis XI in If I Were King and was nominated for an Oscar for that. Um, he won a Tony Award for The Heiress. So, he, like, mm. he was doing a lot in the 40s. Yeah. And I'm a, you know, I'm a big fan of the 14 uh, Sherlock Holmes movies. Uh, that was that was part of a deal where they had to like they had to make a certain number of movies a year like that was the contract so yep. even inside of that there's two of those movies are from like 1939 yep the two big MGM movies yep. and then there's a couple years that they don't make anything and then in a, in a period of like four years they bang out all the rest of them oh no so there's 12 <laughs> movies in like three years and like some of them are okay and some of them are pretty tired yeah, yeah. and cheap and you know yeah. But, he must have been like, oh my god. Yeah, I mean, he was a real actor, and so the fact that like he got into this contract, it was yeah. like they would have kept doing this. They could have made again. He lives into the '60s. Nigel Bruce, who played Watson, yeah, lives I think into the '50s. So like they could have made another ten years of those movies. Yeah. Um, but I think he was like, I can't keep doing this. Yes. Uh, plus, in addition, him and Bruce were doing the radio show, oh. and there's 200 episodes of Holy that. Holy shit! So he played Sherlock Holmes. Over and over again oh in this period God. of time. So again, coming out of the '30s when he's like in all of these big yeah, prestige yeah, movies. Yeah. So I think he got kind of bitter about yeah. it. Yeah. But a couple fun things I always liked about him. I I read half of his biography and for some reason never got back to it. I think it's just called In and Out of Character. Yeah. But he fought in like World War One or one of those early 20th sense. century yeah. British wars, and he like tells stories about like murdering guys, <laughs> and I'm like. How many, like, you know, isn't that, like, it's like Christopher Lee was, like, a killer at some point. I just think that's fun. Like, then they became, like, ah, he was also in Romeo and Juliet. (laughs) It's like a fun side thing. Yeah. And uh, to tie into another one of our interests, Mm -hmm. uh, he appears in two TV versions of A Christmas Carol, (laughs) two years apart, playing Scrooge and Marley. (laughs) A Merry Christmas, Bob. A Christmas than I've ever given you before. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> so I think if you edited those together, that would be pretty fun, That's actually. Pretty fun. Like, yeah. 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 I like that. Neither of them really sound like Basil Rathbone. Yeah. Because he's playing like ooh, 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 and also like his old man screws. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I think that's pretty fun. That's great. Uh, Basil Rathbone, weirdly nice. buried in New York. When when did he die? Uh, he died on uh, July twenty first, nineteen sixty seven. Well, a mere uh, math. 19 days before that? Uh, uh, 13 days. 13 days before that? <laughs> yeah. Really? Oh, is that right? July 8th? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Oh. Yeah. Whew. Uh, math. <laughs> math. <laughs> Great. Uh, it <laughs> happened one math. <laughs> it's not, I, I'll need uh, to find someone else to do that podcast. Yeah, no. I can't do it. Yeah, one. it's just calculus. Uh, yeah. uh, actress of all time, uh, Vivian Lee died oh, at age okay. 53. She was very young when she died. Yeah, she had a series of. Of, of issues, issues. Yeah. yeah. Well, don't, stop stealing okay. my thunder. I didn't know where you were. <laughs> so, Vivian Lee, uh, known for a little movie called Gone with the Wind. After all, tomorrow is another day. Part of it. Yeah. Um, she played a little character called Scarlett O'Hare. Katie uh, Scarlett O'Hare. Very good. Yeah. That was beautiful. Thomas that was Mitchell. Good, yeah. Who uh, who played? Uh, he played somebody else too, right? And I'm always like, oh, that was that guy. Oh, he was Uncle, Uncle Billy. Billy. Yeah. As soon yeah. as I said it, I knew who it was. Yeah. He's Uncle yeah. Billy in uh, in It's a Wonderful Life. My wild I'm alright. I'm alright. Yeah. Anyway, Sweetie. she died in 1967. Basically of tuberculosis, her lungs were filled with fluid. She passed it out. I don't need all those details, but basically she she died of tuberculosis. Uh, she was an actress. Uh, I'm not going to go through her whole thing. <laughs> well, I mean, I think what's interesting with Vivian Lee is she didn't really make that many movies. No. Like, she was a movie. She was a big star. Yeah. But she wasn't, you know, Jimmy Stewart made 200 movies yeah. or something. Again, to keep bringing up Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. But, like, you know, for a star, you think she yeah. would have made a lot more movies. Well, she did a lot of stage work, too. Yeah. Like, she yeah. she was a, a stage actress quite a bit. She married a guy named Lee Holman. Oh. when she, uh, she was married when she started in uh, in acting, and her agent basically was like, mm, Vivian Holman is not something we're going to go with. So they tried a bunch of stuff and came up with Vivian Lee. So it's oh. his her first husband's first name is oh. her last name. Um, they also changed the spelling of her name to have an E in it instead of an A. Okay. Vivian. Why not? Vivian? I don't know. Um, so she married that guy. They were married for a little while. And then, of course, eventually she marries uh, Laurence Olivier. And that is, like, the main, like, relationship marriage in her life. It drives a lot of her work. They were married when she filmed uh, Gone with the Wind. And uh, apparently in Olivia de Havilland's book, she writes about Vivian Lee because there are rumors about her being, like, terrible on the set. And she writes that she was a professional and she was great and blah, blah, blah. And yeah. she was concerned with doing a good job and being separated from ha- from Larry, <laughs> which I think is a funny way to well, think Larry about Elder. Olivier. Yeah, yeah. You know? I think um, it's fun because sometimes if you see pictures from, like, the premiere of Gone with the Wind. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like Vivian Lee there with Lawrence Olivia, which already feels weird. Even though they made yeah. movies together, it just yeah. seems like, you know, it should just be. And then Clark Gable's there with Carol Lombard. Yeah. And they're all, and like, it's all, it's all these movie stars who don't seem like they should all be hanging out together. Together. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. confusing. Yeah. So they started, most of my notes on her about her relationships. I'm sorry. No. Uh, I'm not a very good feminist. She was a professional. I know. Uh, but they started their relationship when they were both married. Ooh. And so they, like, their spouses didn't grant them a divorce for a while they were had to keep it secret because of the hollywood rules at the time sure. but you know they ended up do, doing quite a bit of work together yeah. they did romeo and juliet on broadway oh. and they think that like they got terrible reviews for it they were probably too old <laughs> 
<laughs> but like some of it is attributed to the fact that like they were considered salacious because oh. they had started their relationship like both married to other people. Eventually their other people got divorced. They got married. Oh, sure. that's good. She also played Blanche in the movie version and the play version of Streetcar Named Desire. I've always depended on the kindness of strangers. Won another Oscar. Won an Oscar for that. Um, she describes that role as being the role that tipped her over into madness. Yeah, and she mentally, I think she already had some yeah. issues, right? She suffered from, like, what they describe was, like, vo- very volatile moods, yeah. but also depression. Yeah. And so I didn't see, like, a, a formal diagnosis yeah. of exactly what it was, but certainly some depression, certainly some, like, volatile mood yeah. swings. and. Yeah. I always remember, like, the anecdotes about her were, like, like, that she was depressed, but also that, like whatever was the chemistry that was going on made her like real promiscuous mm-hmm. in periods where she's married or yeah, whatever. Yeah. But like, but like the people would say how profoundly unhappy she seemed as yeah. a person and, and whether that was just depression or whether yeah. like this was actually like her life was, was so such a yeah. misery to her. You know? It sounds like she went through like full on episodes yeah. where she would, she would not only forget what she had done, but like, the people around her would know that she was like going through an episode and then she would be like normal the next day or yeah. in a week or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, but that's not what ultimately killed her. She had some ailments and yeah. yeah and that's, uh, and she died young. But like, that's the thing is the fact that she wins two Oscars in a you know relatively short period of time, 12, yeah. 13 years. But I, I mean, I, and I'm just, I'm just going to guess, but I think she's only was in 30 movies yeah. maybe like, I mean, cause after a point she really doesn't do much. Yeah. Even though she lived a long time. But yeah, if she's doing stage work. Yeah, she and was then, pretty prolific on the stage. And then her and Olivier broke up. Mm-hmm. And so I think that yeah. took some sort of a toll too, They right? broke up. They described the like, there was a, I don't, I didn't even write his name down, but there was a relationship that she was in later in her life. And they say that that like stabilized her, but that basically near when she died, she said, I would rather live a short life with him than a long life without him. Not him, her, the person she was with, but yeah. him, Olivier. Yeah, like, yeah. that seems to be the love of her life. Yeah, fair. Um, I don't know a ton about Olivier's personal life, but he was somebody who I think was prone to affairs and whatnot, yeah. too. Like, he wasn't, a, yeah. you know, you know. there's a, that movie about Marilyn Monroe when yeah. they made that The Princess and the sh- or the Prince and the Showgirl or whatever mm-hmm. that was. Like, I think he was screwing around. And that's, that yeah. would have been, I mean, Marilyn Monroe dies well before this. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, not ideal. Not ideal. Not ideal. Well, unlike Vivian Lee, uh, <laughs> dying as an old man oh, no. <laughs> was Claude Rains. What a pivot! <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know, I mean, because Basil Rathbone and Claude Rains also have, like, fairly similar careers in a lot yeah. of ways. Claude Rains was a respected, you know, British actor. Yeah. But, you know, he also appeared in a lot of monster movies, which is what Basil Rathbone did. Like, after a point, Basil Rathbone appears in a lot of, like... Monster movies? Yeah, like, he was in a Frankenstein movie, oh. and, like, as an older man, he pops up in a lot of, like, weird right. Vincent Price-type stuff. Like, he's just... He had that, that bearing, so That's what you do. Worked. And uh, Claude Rains... It's hard to say what he's best known for. It's probably Casablanca. I mean, he's he's Louis in Casablanca, mm. so, and he was not for an Oscar for it. How can he close me up? On what ground? I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. You're winning, sir. Oh, thank you very much. Everybody out at once. But Casablanca yeah. has so many kind of notable people in it yeah. that I don't know that he immediately rises up in the memory. Yeah. You know, like Peter Laurie's in it and Sidney Greenstreet's. Like, there's so many yeah. in the smaller parts that are doing these things. Yep. But Claude Rains played the Invisible Man in the original Invisible Man. Uh, thus, he is mentioned in the Rocky Horror Picture Show song about movies. Claude Rains was the Invisible Man. 
he was also in the Wolfman movie. He played the Phantom of the Opera. Like, he did a lot of these wow. things. Wow. But he was nominated for Oscars for a couple things. He was in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's in the Hitchcock movie Notorious, uh, which is not about Biggie Smalls. <laughs> uh, he was nominated for Mr. Skeffington. So he was nominated a couple times. Wait, he was in a movie named Mr. Skeffington? Yeah. And he played Skeffington, I believe. Makes but sense. But I don't know if he was the Mr. Skeffington. <sighs> Because he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, Multiple so Skeffingtons. what is that movie yeah. about? It's Ooh. about the family Skeffington. Probably. Multiple Skeffingtons would be an excellent band name. Yeah, yeah. opening for the three bigots. <laughs> uh, Claude Rains uh, was in one movie with Basil Rathbone, which I thought was fun. Oh, that's exciting. Uh, they were both in The Adventures of Robin Hood, which I would say I don't really distinctly remember who Claude Rains is in that movie. I haven't yeah. seen it in a while, but like, Basil Rathbone's the bad guy. Yeah. Like, he's in the big sword fights with, uh, with Errol Flynn, so... Sure. Um, that is, uh, Claude Rains died on May 30th, 1967. Huh. Yep. R.I.P. How yeah. old was he? Uh, he was up there. Okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have Noted. that. I don't Noted. Yeah. I know. I tried to write down the year they were born, but I forgot in many cases, including yeah. the next case, uh, where I have another actor to talk about who yeah. was probably in a movie with either Basil Rathbone or Claude Rains. Probably. But I have no data to support that. Yeah. And that actor is Spencer Bonaventure Tracy. <laughs> Named after St. Bonaventure. St. Bonaventure. Sure, yeah. The who, Bonnies. Who died on June 10th, 1967. Yeah. Uh, Bad summer for he movie was, stars. He was the first actor to win two consecutive Best Actor Oscars. Yeah. And when I looked at his Wikipedia page, I could not have picked him out of a lineup. No? I did not know what Spencer Tracy looked like. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure I've ever seen a Spencer Tracy movie. Wow. Even though in 1999, AFI named him the ninth greatest male star of the class Hollywood era. Yeah. So... I guess it's weird. Like, I don't know what you would immediately jump to, like, is the Spencer Tracy movie. It's probably Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, but he's an old man at that oh, point. Oh, he's, he's a very old man, and we're going to get yeah. to that. Yeah. So, uh, he won his Oscars for two movies called, from what I could tell, Captain's Courageous. Captain's Courageous is an old book. Yeah, it was like, like multiple captains, apparently. Yeah. Courageous. And yeah. and his second Oscar for a movie named Boys Town. Yeah. Um, but as I went Boys through... Boys Town's a fairly famous Maybe. Movie. Yeah. Uh, as I went through... Uh, I didn't recognize a lot of what he did. So what's funny is when I was in like sixth grade, we had to read Captain's Courageous for school. Oh, okay. And so that's the only reason I even know what that is. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember. Now, I'm going to get some of this wrong, but it's about like a sh- something on a ship, like sure. like a mutiny on the bounty, but you know, yep. I, not that mut- mutinous. But I want <laughs> to say, mutinous. after I read the book, I might have seen the movie sure. and Spencer Tracy's character isn't anywhere near being the lead of the book. <laughs> But I think in the movie they make it the lead because Spencer Tracy's playing the part. Yeah. And like I don't remember what else was about it, but I was always kind of like, yeah. how did this adaptation work? He was just like, well, I want to play that guy. Like, <laughs> you know, he's not like the captain. He's just a guy. Like, uh, you know, that was always weird. I'm I'm realizing now as I went through these like old actors that died in 1967, the way that I read these articles was whatever movies, movies, movies. Oh, spouses. Like, and that's all you did was spouses. All I did was spouses. So you just want to talk about Catherine Hepburn? I uh, no. Oh. Well, interesting. If I wanted yeah. to talk about spouses, I would not talk I about know, Catherine Hepburn. I'm, but yes. anyway, we'll get to that. So he started in plays in Broadway. He was with the Fo- uh, the Fox Studio for a little while, but most of his career was spent with MGM um, for like 20 years. He did a lot of movies with Clark Gable. They were buds. Yeah. And. Uh, uh, and he married a woman whose, unfortunately, name I did not write down. Good job. Like Louise Tracy or I something. I apologize to that woman. Sorry. I'm sorry to that woman. Yeah. Um, but he really did a lot of uh, boinking. 
So he he, had, he was from Sheboygan. He was from Sheboygan. Yeah, very good. He had affairs with people like Myrna Loy, Joan Crawford, Ingrid Bergman, Loretta Young, lots and lots of affairs while he was married. And then he hooked up with Catherine Hepburn and they were together until he died. Yeah. Although he was married that entire time and not to Catherine Hepburn. But it's, I mean, <laughs> this couldn't have been a surprise to the wife because him and Catherine Hepburn make like eight movies oh, together. Yeah. Right? So well, like, so this the, is an open secret. There was one of his quotes that was like, we all know what's going on. We're all okay with it. Like, she, his wife was quoted as saying, like, I will be Mrs. Spencer Tracy until the day that I die. But he was mostly sleeping with other women. Sure. So good for him. He did so, Once he got out of MGM, that's when he did more of the movies that I recognize, but that's probably because that they was were later. later in his life. Yeah. Uh, he did a lot of work with the director, Stanley Kramer, including Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, which finished filming 17 days before he died. Yeah. So, not great. But, like, that's probably what I would immediately point to as, like, that's his most famous movie. Which is weird, because I think that comes out in 67, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, like, it doesn't... Considering the long career he has... I mean, mean, some of those Catherine Hepburn movies are famous, but... Like, Adam's Rib and Pat and Mike. But I don't know that they're, like... They're resonating down through history as all-time great movies. Or, like... Movies that, you know, people would still talk about. Yeah. I don't think. No, I, I think that's probably true. Um, I don't, I, I doubt he was even alive when the movie came out. Because, no, again, he not, finished yeah. filming and died 17 days later. Yeah. Um, Brosef was not a healthy dude. He, like, smoked. <laughs> he drank. He was an alcoholic his whole life. Sure. He dealt with depression. Um, it seems like on set he was pretty uh, volatile. Sure. Um, and he just had a heart attack. Yeah. He died. Um, the his like butler or manager at the time said that he died alone, but Catherine Hepburn writes in her book that she was like she was there when he died. Yeah. Um, in like a house that they shared together, they had like a cottage on somebody's property yeah. in Beverly Hills. Um, and that's Spencer Tracy. And she outlived him by a pretty good oh, amount, right? Yeah, because she lives until about into the two thousands. Yeah, right? wasn't she the one that was in Love Affair? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think she did not. I mean, she was an old woman in that movie, but, but I like, think she lived a, a good number of years even beyond that. That's ninety five. Yeah, yeah something, something like, like that. that. Something like that. So I mean, I think I think she lived into the two thousands. Yeah, two thousand two. Yeah. Because like I mean, I think he was considerably older than her, but like yeah. they were together a long time. Oh yeah, so, they, like yeah. twenty six years. They were yeah, together. yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, well, that makes sense. So to wrap up Film Corner, because yeah. again, apparently we can't talk about Paul Muni. <laughs> so there were people, Sarah was just like, no. I just, I think. The people aren't going to be interested. Look, this episode's already going to be way too long. Is it, or is it not long enough? Let's talk about <laughs> Jane Darwell. No, apparently not. The only other people I really wanted to mention, uh, because these are my interests, uh, there are two uh, notable-ish uh, uh, actors from uh, Marx Brothers films oh, who died yeah. in 67, mm-hmm. so I just wanted to mention them real quick. Uh, Nat Pendleton, who appears in Horse Feathers as one of the football players from Darwin. So he's, he, and he was a, an Olympic wrestler. Oh, nice. So he's this huge dude who yeah. did have a, a good long film career. Yeah. But he plays these uh, the, one of the, fil- the football players that Chico and Harpo are supposed to kidnap, uh, which doesn't go well. <laughs> I believe he plays McCarty of yeah. the two, and he uh, he was in Horse Feathers. He also was in The Thin Man, so he was in a bunch of other things. Yeah. But he did win the Olympic uh, uh, medal, uh, silver medal for wrestling in Antwerp in 1920. Damn! So pretty accomplished Way to go, dude. Uh, in a bunch of different fields. He yeah. died in 67, uh, October 12th. And who I would say is probably a more famous actor, but again popped up in a lot of small parts, was Sig Ruman, 
who is in three Marx Brothers films. Oh. He's in, and two of the big ones. He's in Night at the Opera and Day at the Races. Wow. And also, and also, A Night in Casablanca. <laughs> Not one of the big ones, just one of the last I, ones. Okay, we have spent a lot of time talking about the Marx Brothers. I'm yeah. not sure I've ever heard of that movie. Well, oh, Night in Casablanca? Yeah. It's like... It's if it's not the last one, it's like the next to last one. So they're old. It's yeah. not one I watch a lot. It's because yeah. uh, again, the Marx Brothers heyday is the first seven movies, mm-hmm. and then they made also six other movies, <laughs> which are, some of them are okay. Go West and Big yeah. Store, okay. Yeah. But Night in Casablanca, I think, was supposed to be a, a Harpo only movie. Oh wow! And so a lot of the plot was geared around Harpo doing what shtick. Do with a Harpo only? Yeah, movie? it was, and like the Harpo parts are pretty good. Like yeah. it is like a sort of capery yeah. thing. You need but that kind of balance. The though. studio realized, you know, how we can make this a more successful film. Let's get Groucho in here, <laughs> yeah. and and Chico can come too. And yeah. that was what that movie ends up. Yeah. Being. But Sig Ruman actually, so Sig Ruman also pops up in uh, To Be or Not To Be. That's probably his most famous part yeah. outside of the Marx Brothers movies because it's a more, I don't know, a more famous film, which we might go see next weekend at the Music Box. Oh, it's Carol Lombard. It's a Carol Lombard movie. Yeah. And he plays like this doofy German officer. So he's kind of funny. Yeah. In all of his movies, he's German. He has this two, you know, Teutonic voice and that yeah. kind of thing. But he actually appears in a very small part in White Christmas. Wow. Yeah. Do you remember? So he's... He is the guy who owns the theater when they are in Florida, who's talking to the oh, sheriff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he has like a little German yeah, accent. Yeah. That's Tim. Ah. And that's like 1953, yeah. 54. So yeah. yeah. So he popped up in tons of stuff. But yeah. sometimes. He's a guy like, like they, I, but they have to do their, they have to do their act. That's yeah. him there. But he's in the movie for what, 30 seconds? Oh, yeah, no time at all. And again, like he was the main antagonist <laughs> in Night at the Opera. You yeah, know, yeah. He, he had big roles. So yeah. he did everything. Yeah. Just that guy liked paychecks. All right. So those were my my Marx Brothers connections. Nice. Not, it's not too many times I get to bring the Marx Brothers up on the no. show. No. When we do, what is it, season, it's going to be the interim season, season six, <laughs> when we do, it happened one year, 1933. Oh, no. Then we're going to We really, should not do that. We're going to get into some things. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's pivot into Writer's Corner. There's no pivot from Marx Brothers actors to Writer's Corner. Well, uh, Groucho wrote a couple books, uh, a little thing called Beds. Really? Yeah. That's oh. true. yeah. It's just about beds? Uh, the Groucho Letters. Okay, if, uh, if memoirs just, of a mangy lover. <laughs> if it's just him writing letters to other people, yeah. I don't think that guy. His books were beds, memoirs of a mangy lover. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's talk about Dorothy Parker. Okay. Who died in on June 7th, 1967. Oh. Again in the summer. Yeah, bad summer. Yeah, Dorothy Parker was, she was an author, a poet. She was also a liter- uh, critic. Yeah. Uh, and they describe her as a satirist. Oh. Uh, she seemed like a, a smart, witty lady. Yeah. Uh, had a lot of good jokes. Yeah. From, At uh, a time when, you know, women writers, especially yeah. the group she ran with, yeah. uh, was, not was really a not thing. really into it. Yeah. She's probably best known for writing the script for A Star is Born. Probably. Well, that's what I've got her best known for. <laughs> that's probably true. <laughs> uh, she was from New York. Uh, she married a stockbroker. This I did think was interesting. When you were like, you're taking too many notes, I was like, I've got great things this about Dorothy Parker's notes. first husband. Yeah. Right. She married a stockbroker who then went to fight in World War One. His name was Edwin Pond Parker the Third. They divorced in 1928. He remarried. He died at age 39 after going to the dentist. Oh. And they don't know if he died because he had an overdose of the analgesic or because of the teeth that he got extracted, he died of sepsis. They wow. don't they don't know. Boy. 39. You don't hear that every day. They weren't still married, but I yeah. just thought that was, fun. That was interesting. Uh, I took this note, uh, witty. She was great. <laughs> Do you have any mention? She was in the. Uh, she was part of the Algonquin Roundtable. You don't have. Yeah, that I didn't thing? know what that was. Oh, so it was like it was a group of writers in New York. Sure. Like in the early twentieth yeah. century, and you know, actually, this comes. This brings us back a little bit to the Marx Brothers. Is that like there were like 
uh, critics and and writers who were part of that. Yeah. And one of the guys was a writer. He was a journalist, uh, and he was an early big proponent of the Marx Brothers. So oh. so he actually became personal friends with Harpo. Oh. And then Harpo was actually sort of in this group, even oh. though Harpo was almost illiterate. Like, he wasn't yeah. a writer in any way. Yeah. Um, I think Harpo speaks, his biography is, like, his only significant thing he ever wrote, and I think he, like, dictated that. Like, yeah. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't, yeah. he wasn't Groucho, who was such a literary person. Yeah. Um, but Dorothy Parker is the only woman in that group. Yeah. And so... You know, she always kind of has been regarded in that way as being this this wit at, at a time when you yeah. didn't have a ton of women writers doing yeah. this stuff. And there's she, been a couple movies about her and things. Yeah, like, um, she she did describe that group. She kind of said, as I there were some quotes from her and what I was reading about, like there were great writers at the time and people like Hemingway and whatever. Uh, and this was a group of people who basically got together to make jokes and tell each other how great they were. Right. So she had right. like some condescension yeah, for, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that's a humorous quote, but like some yeah. condescension for this, this group. Yeah. It does. It always sounded a bit snooty. Like, yeah. it was, you know, it wasn't like getting around and solving the world's problems. It was look at how, how brilliant we all are, but yeah, but it, you know, these were a collection of really smart, you know, yeah. talented, talented people. people. Yeah, she did do. She wrote article. Not only did she write, you know, scripts and thing, but she did write articles for the New Yorker, for Vanity Fair at the time. She reviewed books. I did want to quote her review for like A. a. Milne's Winnie the Pooh book, The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. She, uh, so I just want to say, she reviewed it for a, a magazine called The Constant Reader, and her quote was, uh, "Constant Weeder uh, froed up." She did not like it. <laughs> not She's a not, not a fan of Winnie the Pooh. Ah. Um, Pooh elsewhere. Pooh elsewhere. Yeah. yeah, she was like, no, no, thank you. Uh, she was an alcoholic, like many people of this time. Sure. Uh, her politics were very anti-Nazi, anti-fascism. Good. Anti-fascism. Yeah. It's hard to say. say than I thought. And uh, and so she was active in some political circles. And then she died at age 73 uh, of a heart attack. Um, she gave her entire estate to Martin Luther King Jr. And then uh, to the NAACP. Oh. Gun to my head, I would have said Dorothy Parker died in 1930. Like, yeah. I had no idea she lived that long. No, she's 73. Yeah. Now, there were some interesting stories about what happened after she died. So, she died in 1973. She was cremated. Her ashes were unclaimed oh. for a while. Just sitting at the freight depot. And then they sent them to her lawyer's office. Oh. So, her ashes sat in a filing cabinet for 17 years. Yeah. Next to, like, small claims. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then, in the late 80s, uh, someone found them and was like, oh, we should do something with this. So, they, like, put a stone and buried her at the NAACP's headquarters because she'd given so much of her estate had gone to the NAACP. But then, as you do in corporations and business, they decided to move their headquarters. And they were like, oh no! What are we going to do with this? Like, can we bring her and rebury her? That seems like a lot. And so they ended up... She's now in the parking lot of a big (laughs) No. She's buried in that big cemetery in the Bronx. Oh. Um, And that was based on the wishes of her family. So she's like buried. Ended up being buried with her father. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. But her... At some point, someone just opened a drawer and was like, holy shit! (laughs) I've got Dorothy Parker's ashes. And they were there in this drawer for a period of time. 17 years. So, So if they ever make a musical about Dorothy Parker it would clearly end with someone just going and her ashes remained in a filing cabinet for 17 years <laughs> that's a Vita corner and we're going to come back oh to that my later God. <laughs> that that ties in later in that's the uh in the show very deep catalog that's uh, people who know a Vita 
Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Writer's Corner is small yeah. for 1967. I didn't... We There were some other people who we could have included uh, that Sarah <laughs> said no to, like, Joe's say... Joe's, like, unending bitterness about me trying to, to pare this down. I want to... You know, I just... Uh, Langston Hughes, the poet, died that year, but Wait, Sarah was we, like, we can't talk about that. I never said we couldn't talk you about did, Langston yeah. Hughes. Yeah, you were like, not him. No, I did not Carson that. McCullers died that, that year. That person I said no. Heart is a Lonely Hunter? Yes. A, a great all-time Langston book. Hughes, we totally could have talked well, about. Well, no one did the research. <laughs> Instead, uh... Uh, Carl Sandburg, the great yeah. Chicago poet, died in 1967. Again, gun to my head, would have said he died in 1900. <laughs> I had no idea when he was alive. But apparently he lived all the way until 67. No, he's a beatnik. You knew he was. No, no, he wasn't a beatnik. You, you're thinking of Allen Ginsberg? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's not true. the same person. Can you cut that, please? Sure. <laughs> We're not cutting anything. Shit. Uh, we can't. The episode will be too short. <laughs> Sorry about the runtime, folks. Carl Sandberg, <laughs> who worked for the Chicago Daily Mail, he won three Pulitzers in his time. Wow. Uh, he extensively wrote about Lincoln. Yep. Uh, he's the most Chicago of writers, basically, if yep. you get right down to it. Like, uh, yeah, it's him and studs, right? Like, who else even yeah. is there? His boyhood home, he was born in Galesburg, which is sort of near Peoria. Okay. And so he, you know, obviously left Galesburg yeah. and came to Chicago. GTFO. Yeah. And, like, I mean, his name is on buildings oh, and yeah. like he's a he's, he's everywhere. it's like him and burnham and you know there's a couple chicago names that stand yeah. out right uh what i thought was funny is he was elected to the chicago literary hall of fame in 2011 yeah and not the inaugural group so i was like oh no who in the hell <laughs> a how long would this exist and b who the hell's in the group before carl sandberg so i had to look that up yeah of course uh the chicago literary hall of fame wherever the hell that's located, yeah. started in 2010. So he's in the second year. Okay, that's good. But the first people in, uh, inducted into that group uh, were a little guy named Stud Starkle. Heard of him. Obviously. Yeah. But also Richard Wright, who wrote Native Son, uh, Nelson Algren, Lorraine Hansberry, uh, Saul Bellow, and Gwendolyn Brooks. So not a group of slumps by yeah, any stretch. No. I just would have thought, you know, top six. Yeah. Sandberg probably gets in that group. Yeah. But, um, but so you, can't, was... you can't criticize any of those people. So what do you mean he wrote about Lincoln? He wrote, like, bio- the, the Life of Lincoln, these oh, huge like biographies. biographies. Yeah. yeah, and one of his Pulitzers was for that. Oh, yeah. Um, but I want to say he wrote, I could be wrong, but I think it's, like, four volumes. And it's, wow. It's, a, it's 1,500 pages. It's a huge, yeah. a huge biography of Lincoln. And, yeah. you know, it's hard to say, like, old biographies don't read great yeah. because they tend to be a little more prosaic yeah. and less, you know, nuts and bolts facts, which biographies tend to be that yeah. way now. So I don't know going back if that would hold up, but you know he's such a he was such a poet anyway that I would imagine the writing at least would be really interesting, even if it's not the kind of you know in depth type biography yeah. that you would want. Maybe it's both. I mean, it's yeah. hard to say just because the book is so long. Yeah. But that he's usually a, like linked with that. It's Lincoln and then like his poems about Chicago, which I think also won the Pulitzer. His, yeah. I think it's literally just called. Chicago stories or Chicago poems. Yeah. Yeah. So that is Writer's, Writer's Corner. Corner. Yeah. I... All apologies to Alice B. Tokas. <laughs> I love you, Alice B. Oh, you caught her too? Yeah. Uh, we I, about her. Again, I thought we were trying yeah. to cut. We were trying no, to it's good. It down. It's smart. But she's one of the few graves we've seen. Yeah. Of this group, I think. I uh, I think I've seen Spencer Tracy's grave. Yeah. But I'm not sure. And I and we don't know if I was there. And I, right, I might, that was in LA, but I don't remember yeah. if that was the time I was looking at graves at Munchak or yeah. the time when we were there. Um, Alice Toklas is buried with Gertrude Stein in Paris, which we did see. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. So I think I've got the entirety of Artist Corner. Artist Corner. Yeah. Painter Corner. Painter Corner. Yeah. And we're gonna call. Uh, we've got two folks to talk about. Uh, Hopper 
and Magritte. Edward Hopper. Edward Hopper. Yeah. And... Renee Magritte. <laughs> Dave Magritte. It was Magritte's name. I couldn't remember and I didn't write it down. Uh, Renee Magritte. Yeah. And we're going to do something a little different for oh. Artist Corner, Painter's Corner. Fun. And I've got several facts. Oh. And you're going to have to guess which one it is. Oh, okay. So... Let's, uh, let's see. Uh, I'm going to give you a few things off the top, though. Yeah. Uh, Hopper. Yeah. Uh, he died on May 15th, 1967. Love it. Uh, and he's most famous for the painting Nighthawks, which yeah. is uh, people in, in a diner. diner from outside. It's a really great painting. Uh, yeah. Recommend. It's a really famous painting. It's great. It just feels like it's it was adapted so many times over the years into like weird pop culture oh, things it was. that I yeah. always like. It's a sad state of affairs on that painting, but yeah. the painting itself is great. Yeah, it's great. Magritte died on August seventeenth. Bad summer. Uh, and he was known for his painting, The Son of the Man, which is the man with the apple in front of his face, mm-hmm. and uh, the like, trip. But it's key a key fact in the Thomas Crown affair. Oh yes, do you remember everybody's got the yeah. everybody is doing the, doing that for yes. some reason. It's been a long time since I've seen the Thomas That's Crown the affair. That's the only thing I remember about that movie is the is the. I really like that movie. Yeah, I remember being a good movie. Yeah. Um, and he also uh, did a painting called The Treachery of Images, Ooh. which was the painting that was a uh, it's a painting of a pipe, and underneath in oh, yeah. French it says this is not that a is pipe. Not a pipe. Yeah. Okay. All right. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do Artist it. Artist corner. Yeah. Who died? In, okay, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you two facts. Okay. And you're going to pick which is which. Okay. One of them died in 18, or one of them was born in 1882. Mm-hmm. And one of them was born in 1898. Oh. Who was born in 1898? Uh, I'm going to say Hopper was the younger of the two. Uh, Hopper was the older of the two. Ah. Uh, Magritte was born in 1898. Hopper was born in 1882. Well, 0 for 1. Um, okay. Some of these are going to be gimmies. Who married artist... Josephine Hopper. <laughs> so did Magritte try to eat Hopper's lunch and sneak in and steal his old lady? No, that's Hopper. Oh. <laughs> okay. Whose father was a tailor and textile merchant? Hmm. Hopper. Uh, nope, that's Magritte. Ah. Ah. I thought he would have been a wine merchant. <laughs> France. <laughs> Good. Um, France. Well, he was born in Belgium. So yeah. <laughs> Over everything. Yeah. yeah. Who did some early self-portraits... And in those portraits, painted himself as skinny, graceful, and homely. Ooh. And w- with his arms around Hopper's wife. Hopper. <laughs> Hopper. Yes. That's Hopper. That's yeah. correct. Yeah. Uh, I might have spoiled the alternative to this one. Who was born in Nyack, New York? Hopper. That's Hopper. Yeah, nice. <laughs> Very yeah, good. Good. Narrowed it down. Uh, okay. Whose mother... Oh, we're going to go dark. Ooh. Whose mother committed suicide? <sighs> Man. Uh, let's say, let's, uh, Hopper. That is Magritte. Ah. All right. One of them died of natural causes. Okay. The other one died of pancreatic cancer. Well, we've already established Hopper's the older, so I'm going to say Magritte dies of cancer. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, who would be considered a surrealist? Uh, Magritte. Magritte. Yeah. That's correct. Okay. One of them went to Paris, uh, to study art, came back and said he didn't even hear about Picasso. The other one went to Paris because he was exhibited with Picasso. Oh. Oh, God. Uh, Magritte was with Picasso. Magritte was exhibited in Paris with Picasso, Dali, and Miro. Sure. Uh, Hopper went to Paris to study art and came back and was like, who is this Picasso fellow you keep talking about? So Miro was in the R World special, right? Wasn't he one of the artists? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. Who was the other artist? Was it Picasso? I thought Picasso was in that. Maybe. Maybe. Who painted a painting called New York Movie, which we have hanging in our living room. That's Edward Hopper. That is Edward Hopper. Yeah. 
Uh, and who said uh, while he was great at oil paintings was equally good with watercolor and etching. He said he was good at everything. Uh, well, Wikipedia said he was oh, good at these things. Oh, uh, uh, McGree. That was Hopper. Oh. All right. And I, that's Art Quarter. I'd say I got about 40% of that right. Yeah, that was not bad. Yeah. Uh, well, I appreciate you taking on Art Quarter. Uh, anytime. Yeah. Uh, Sports Corner, similarly, not a huge group of people. Okay. And not because Sarah would not allow me to talk about them. No. There really weren't that <laughs> many famous big. athletes who yeah. died in 67. Yeah. And I was surprised because... You know, you would still think there's uh, many decades of famous sporting going on you at would the think. time. But uh, neither of these people, I would say, are super famous to the modern crowd. Yeah. Um, maybe you can make the case that uh, baseballer Jimmy Fox is still known to real sports fans, but he's not exactly Babe Ruth. It's not like his his legacy has, you know, gone down through the years. Yep. But when he retired, he was the second all-time leading home run hitter. Oh. So, like, only behind Babe Ruth. Like, he yeah. was a real famous player in the 30s and 40s. Yep. Uh, he mostly played for the Philadelphia Athletics and the Red Sox. His number's not retired for the Red Sox because they had this old rule where you had to play for the team for 10 years. Oh. To get a retire. That's why they have so few retired yeah. numbers. Yeah, interesting. Um, now, they've gone away They've gone away from that yeah. in more recent years, so they've started retiring numbers, which is nice. But yeah. for the longest time, like, just nobody. They had nobody, yeah. yeah. They only, it was really, like, a couple people. Like, Cy Young doesn't have his Oh, my retired. God. Like, it's crazy, <laughs> like, just the way their weird rules worked. But yeah, uh, but yeah Jimmy Fox um, had 534 home runs. He won the Triple Crown in 1933. Uh, and he uh, he was a three-time MVP, and he Ooh. made the Hall of Fame in 1951. What I think is probably most fun, at least for you anyway, mm-hmm. is uh, Jimmy Fox is the basis for a character in a movie that you've seen a ton of times. Ooh. Who do you think that is? A baseball character. Who is Jimmy Fox the basis uh, for? Movie I've seen a ton of times? Yeah. Okay. A baseball I, character now. I have one guess. Yeah. Is there any chance... That baseball skills translate to bobsled skills. <laughs> uh, he he did not uh, draw a line down the middle of his head. And Make call it look it a good. But, uh, did not did not. He, do so it. he wasn't yeah, on the Jamaican bobsled team. No, no, and he also uh, did not do uh, his baseballing at the whims of a madman. <laughs> So he was not in speed. No, he uh, he is actually the basis for Jimmy Dugan oh. in uh, A League of Their Own. I figured it was probably A League of Their Own. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Dugan uh, is loosely based on him. They like People said after the fact, like, he wasn't this kind of callous asshole. Mm-hmm. But he did coach the Fort Wayne Daisies of oh. the Girls Baseball League for a while after he retired. And he retired it- sort of young, like, even though he hit all those home runs. Is it called the Girls Baseball League? Yeah, it's the All-American... Girls oh shit! It is. Profession <laughs> it is. It's, there's not the women's league. So. But yeah, no, he. Well, that's a terrible league. name for that league. Okay. That was what they were called. Yeah. Uh, but no, but he was the same thing. How like Jimmy Dugan had retired early because he had knee injuries and everything, and yeah. and Jimmy Fox had the same thing. Yeah. Because he was a catcher, and so like his knees went. Went. Yeah. But like the fact that he hits as many home runs as he does. Uh, they, like, like people contemporary to the times. I remember there's an interview with Ted Williams saying that Ted Williams thought he was going to break the the home run record, which at that point was so far beyond what anybody else had done. Yeah. Um, that it was really just a, a because of his injuries that yeah. he probably didn't get there. But he hit 30 home runs for like 12 or 13 Damn. straight years in a stretch where people weren't hitting those kind of home runs. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so he had a solid career. Oh, good for him. And then the only other athlete of real significance was former heavyweight champion Primo Carnera, mm. who was only the heavyweight champion for a year in the 30s, 33 to 34. Yep. Uh, he defeated Jack Sharkey and then lost to Max Bear. The real significant thing with 
with Primo Carnera, he was Italian. He was like from sure. Italy. Italian. Yeah, sounds like it. And he was six foot seven. Oh my god! And two hundred and seventy five pounds. Holy so he was shit. enormous. He was a giant. Yeah. And he would be the heaviest person to win the heavyweight title for eighty years. Wow. Until recent days with those giant Russians who yeah, weighed yeah. three hundred pounds. Yeah. But like he was such an abnormality that like. You know, you see old videos of him. It's ridiculous. Like, he looks like a giant. Like, and he's so big. Doesn't his name roughly translate to, like, good meat? Like <laughs> Primo Carnera. Primo yeah. Carnera. I'd say that's true. The average height of a man in Italy in the 30s was 5'5". Five five. Oh, my God. <laughs> so he was towering over everyone he knew. Uh, like, literally, they thought, like, people thought he had gigantism. Even though he doesn't, in pictures, he doesn't have that yeah, yeah. acromeglia look where, you know, yeah. abnormally large features. Yeah. But, but yeah, he, he that was his his boxing career. Like he was the champion for a year, and he yeah. defended a couple times. But yeah. Max Bear was also a big dude, uh, whose son was then uh, Jethro on uh, on the, the the Beverly Hillboys. I thought you were going to say his son was Jeff Bear, the guy in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey Bear? No, no, uh, no. Max Bear Jr. was was oh. Jethro. Yeah. Oh sure. But uh, he also fought Joe Lewis and lost in 1935. Yep. Uh, in the fight with Max Bear, there weirdly there's not a real accurate. Like round by round sure. breakdown, but uh, Primo Carnero was knocked down somewhere between seven and twelve times oh, no. before they called the fight. <laughs> and I'm guessing it was just because again he was so strong that he yeah. just like he just got back up, but he got knocked down twelve times. Jesus. Like Max Bear must have been able to knock down the house. Oh so, my god, unbelievable! Ugh. But that's uh, Primo Carnero's <laughs> career. Primo Carnero died June 29th. Oh. Continuing the bad summer of '67. Bad summer '67. When he died, actually the same day Jane Mansfield died. Oh wow! Yeah. Well, I think we're going to pivot from sports corner to jazz corner. Beautiful. And continue the bad summer of 1967. Oh, no. On July 17th, oh. 1967, uh, John Coltrane died. Oh. At age 40. He was mm. a young young dude when he died. A lot of jazz musicians died young. Born in 1926. Okay, look. Natural causes. Uh, no. No. Uh, well, no. Oh. Definitely not. Oh. No. Very unnatural. Unnatural. Yeah. Look, I don't know anything about jazz. Nothing. I read the whole article wikipedia page about john coltrane most of it i did not understand Fair. here's what i took away he was very good good at jazz yeah, yeah. he did some experimenty stuff yeah very influential okay why how couldn't tell you but i do know that he played the saxophone nice he was a band leader for a while the john coltrane trio something yeah uh and he was a composer oh. so he wrote some jazz music yeah uh good for him he played mostly tenor uh, sax and soprano sax, mm-hmm. not a ton of alto sax, a okay. little bit, not a lot. Yeah. And then he played, uh, as many musicians, a lot of other instruments. He was experimenting with flute around the time that he died. Apparently, mm-hmm. he was a little into the drums. Yeah. Uh, so he could play other things, but he was mainly known as a saxophonist. So he's remembered for taking uh, a healthy hit of flute towards the end of his life. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> he was well down with the flute. Uh, What's he most associated with? Uh, heroin, heroin, I believe. Yeah, yes. That would probably uh, yeah. Brosov had a real drug problem. Yeah. Uh, and the unfortunate thing about jazz musicians of the 50s and 60s. Not to jump forward, but he did die of liver cancer. Oh. But there are his bio, his main biographers, like, he probably had cirrhosis yeah. and also hepatitis, maybe. Fair. So, like, li- quote unquote liver cancer, yeah, but, yeah. you know, a lot of, I mean, he spent many years deep into the drugs. Yeah, fair. Uh, he had a period of time where he was really associated with uh, Miles Davis and Thelonious Monk. Uh, Real quick, 
Yeah. When I can I tell you, I just want to, I, just because you brought it up, sure. and the occasion's never going to come up again. Okay. I remember when Bill Clinton was running for president. Yeah. In 1992. Yeah. And he did like a town hall or like something on MTV. Do you remember they used to mm-hmm. do that? Like, mm-hmm. and he was the young hip president. Yeah. yeah. And somebody, I want to say it was like Tabitha Soren, asked him what music he's into, and he said uh, Thelonious Monk, and she says, "And who is the loneliest monk?" <laughs> That's phenomenal. I always love that. Oh that, my that god! Little, that little tidbit. I am. So, I'm. No, sorry. that's great. No, speaking of monks, though, that that was a perfect pivot. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite things about uh, the John Coltrane story yeah. is that uh, in San Francisco, after he died, there was a church uh, called the Yardbird Temple, okay. named after another jazz musician, something something. Charlie Parker. Charlie Yardbird. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's where Yardbird came from, I oh, think. Okay. Um, but basically the church was designed to worship John Coltrane as the god incarnate. Nice. And then the African Orthodox Church picked that up and in order to get associated with the African Orthodox Church, they had to transition him from a god to a saint. Mm. But there is a Saint Coltrane African Orthodox Church movement. Wow. And like We should convert. They basically like worship God using John Coltrane music. And like there are like paintings where especially in like African churches that include him as part of their list of saints and so there because the idea was he had this big like spiritual awakening Mm -hmm. which got him quote-unquote off drugs i don't know if he's fully off drugs but like limited his drug use and it's not like he became christian or any of that it was just like he found a way to convene with god and he was kind of a you know like all religions kind of thing like just a spiritual evolution and then after he died especially young he uh there is a whole church that worships him as a saint huh which i think is very interesting you know i wish i liked jazz more i I feel like there might be something there i i think that it's odd because i've always thought of jazz as like a smart person's yeah music yeah because whenever i've tried to listen to it it just seems like noise you know yeah. but i'm always like there's something more here right yeah, like there's totally something. there was a teacher i had at keystone who i really like liked an english teacher mm-hmm. I really like respected and he used to teach this like i think he used to teach like um like a weekend jazz appreciation class but not at school like at a bookstore or yeah. something you know and i always thought this sounded great and I, yeah. was, I was like this is amazing but like even just to like take that little step I yeah. like would try to listen to like Miles Davis and I was just like I can't understand what this is like, yeah it just is just it's just instruments like I couldn't figure it out we should use my master class license we I'm should. not gonna have it forever but we should, we should use it. that yeah. yeah I mean just because like I've always kind of like yeah. wanted to like to get that yeah yeah and the closest I came is I read that book last year that third coast book that was yeah, about yeah. Chicago yep and there's a whole like it's it follows all of these real people and one of them is Sun Ra, and it sounds, you know, it sounded interesting. So I did listen to it. I was like, oh, well, like Sun Ra's not quite the same thing. Yeah. But it was still jazzy, and I was like, this is kind of neat. Like, yeah. Okay, so yeah. we should try. We should try. Let's give it a shot. I like it. Yeah. Jazz Corner, RIP John Coltrane. John Coltrane. So if you want to come back to, uh, Dorothy Parker was anti-fascist, yes. anti-communists? Uh, anti-Nazi. Anti-Nazis. Yeah. I wanted to talk about somebody who didn't die in the summer for a change. <laughs> um, was the great Woody Guthrie dies October third? Oh, but uh, famously the most anti-fascist musician of all time yes. is Woody Guthrie, right? Yes. Uh, he, you know, written on his guitar was "This Machine Kills Fascists," which became this famous, you know, thing. Yeah. But he was a socialist, and so he would always kind of be associated with communists throughout yep. his life. So he, he was constantly this like 
yeah. figure for the government around this time, like in the 40s and 50s. Uh-huh. He wrote This Land is Your Land yep. as his easily his most famous movie. Sure. It's full of his song. But, but he wrote it, which I didn't realize, in response to... This is, he wrote it in the 40s, the early 40s. Sure. And I've always just thought of This Land is Your Land as just being a patriotic yeah, anthem. Yeah. Like Same. nothing nothing really, you know, yeah. because there's verses of it that are cut out. Yeah. Uh, most of the verses you hear are the very much patriotic, you know. Yeah, just naming places. Just naming places yeah. and the Golden Valley. And it yeah. all sounds very positive. But he wrote it in response to the fact that leading up to World War II, Godless America was being played so much. And he just thought Godless America sucked. <laughs> like, because Godless America was written for World War One, Yeah. And then it was repurposed in for World War II. Sure. And I don't know if he personally hated Irving Berlin or if it was just <laughs> that he was tired of the song. Yeah. But in the original verses of This Land is Your Land, there's a lot more that's kind of critical. And yeah. so that's usually, that's why we wouldn't have known about it in grade school. Sure. When you're yeah. sitting in the auditorium singing the patriotic <laughs> yep. songs. But... I'm not going to sing it, but some of the anthem, like some of the you the, should sing it. I'm not, I, I can't figure out. I actually I've tried in my head and I can't figure it out. <laughs> uh, well, one bright Sunday morning in the shadow of the steeple, by the relief line, I saw my people as they stood there whistling. They stood there hungry. Don't they know this land was made for you and me? Oh no! So that's not. <laughs> yeah. Good. While I was walking, I saw a sign there, and on the sign it said "No trespassing," but on the other side, it didn't say nothing. That side was made for you. And me. Oh no! So I mean, it's it's yeah. well, it's income inequality, and yeah, yeah. you know, there's a lot That's there. That's great, right? I mean, right, yeah. like it's just like everything you hear about what he got through. You're just like, oh my god, oh, like this guy so got it, this guy. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. just just fantastic. Um, but yeah, he, you know, he's an influence for all of the folk musicians of that time and yeah. going forward. Yeah, Bob forever. Dylan loves Woody Guthrie. Yep. Uh, you know, I mean, after this land is your land, the I guess the best thing he probably gave to us was Arlo Guthrie. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I've always really enjoyed. Um, And this again ties us back to the visitors to Nova Scotia because uh, very quickly, I think mentioned somewhere is the fact that Alice's restaurant comes out right at this time, which is, I mean, Woody Guthrie dies October 3rd. Yep. All of the visitors to Nova Scotia takes place on October 4th and 6th. Oh, yeah. And in Alice's restaurant, the song had just come out. So that's why it's mentioned in the show. Yep. Um, But there's that. And then also, I think it's the fourth episode. But there is the Canadian verse of this. Oh yeah, that's right. I thought it's hilarious. And and looking up stuff about the song, I did run across that. That that like all sorts of different countries redid versions of this land. And it doesn't seem like Woody Guthrie was like a dick about it. Like it was like just go and do it. And so that's why if you listen to that show, there's this weird Canadian verse where they just name Canadian places. Right, well, let's pivot to we'll, we'll stick with anti-Nazis. Sure. I would assume. Yeah, let's I'd stick with anti-Nazis. Probably not, can be assumed. Probably the thing that this guy is most known for. But yeah. November seventh, nineteen sixty-seven, John Nance Garner died, mm. who was a, the thirty-second vice president of the United States. Sure was. He was the vice president under FDR from thirty-three to forty-one. The first vice president. Yes. Yeah. And before that, he was the speaker of the house from oh. thirty-one to thirty-three. Well done. Uh, his nickname was. Cactus Jack. Oh. He was from Uvalde, that Texas, which has been in the news a lot lately not, for not so not great reasons. Yeah. Uh, but basically, like, he started as a judge in, in Uvalde County, and then he was in the Texas House, then he was in the U.S. House, then he was the 
speaker, House Minority Leader, Leader of the House Democratic Caucus, all those things before becoming the vice president. He was great with Roosevelt in his first term. Second term, he started to be like, oh, bro, maybe we should balance the budget and oh. cut some of these New Deal programs. I thought he was, like, making fun of his glasses. No, no. Uh, I mean, Why maybe. Why such a nerd? Yeah, maybe he did. I don't yeah. know. But he was like, maybe we're spending too much money. And mm. FDR was like, mm, not a big fan of that. We're not spending enough money. Coming up to the 1940 election, though, uh, there was a question about whether FDR would be running for another term. Because it would be the third yeah, term. Yeah, it would have been the third term. And Garner got in the race. He put his uh, hat in the ring and he said, I'm, I'm running. Uh, and people said he couldn't beat FDR if FDR ran. Uh, but if he didn't run, Garner had a pretty decent shot. So they get to the convention and FDR engineered a spontaneous call for his renomination. Oh. Garner got 61 of 1,093 oh. votes and uh, should not be a surprise, was not selected as FDR's next running mate and therefore was no longer vice president. He was succeeded by Henry Wallace, who uh, Roosevelt selected to be his running mate. And then he basically retired. But a couple of interesting things about him uh, after he retired on November 22nd, 1963, which oh was... Garner's birthday. Ooh. He got a call from JFK in the morning. Oh. Yeah. So one like of the last people to talk a to. A few hours before he died, yeah. uh, JFK gave him a call to wish him a happy birthday. Did John, did Kennedy mention that it was a nice sunny day? I don't think he did. <laughs> I think we're going to keep the top down today, John. It's going to be great. Yeah. Uh, oh my God, that's dark. Watch this. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Era, nice day in Dallas today. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Um, he, uh, he died, Garner died uh, 15 days before his 99th birthday, wow. making him the oldest vice president to live. Yeah. Um, and he... Because Ford, Ford would have gotten close to that, yeah, but not quite. Yeah. yeah. And he and uh, someone named Colfax... Skyler Colfax. Yes, yeah. Skyler Colfax yeah. were the only people who were speakers of the House before becoming vice president until Biden selects like 90-year-old Nancy Pelosi <laughs> for his next term. No, <laughs> that's not the ticket people want. <laughs> Biden-Pelosi <laughs> Biden-Pelosi, where they're a combined 185 <laughs> years old. I, I don't I don't think that's the way to go, uh, man. But yeah. yeah, so yeah, so they're the only speakers. Uh, wow. Uh, maybe Kevin McCarthy's got a shot. Yeah, <laughs> sure, I guess anything's possible. So John Nance Garner. Yeah, fun. So, um... Not to go too far down this road, but this will this will pivot us nicely. Is it's interesting when they change vice presidents because that's not something that happens no. too too often. Yeah. Now that's a weird circumstance where you know it's a third term, so this will never happen again. And yeah, you know you don't see a lot of multi. There's been a lot more vice presidents than presidents, but it's only for these reasons, like yeah. these little things. Presidents so, change people out. Yeah. However, the fact that Henry Wallace doesn't remain vice president, yeah, I think was always because Roosevelt knew he was dying, yeah. right? And that was the idea that. He needed he, someone who could actually be president. Right. And so that's where he comes around to Truman, which yeah. is weird. But and the, the stories are always that Truman was like surprised when he was selected as right. vice president. Truman was somebody who never ran to be, he never wanted to be president, really. Yeah. And and also Truman was, and I love Harry Truman, yeah. but he was he was a pawn of the Missouri political machine. Like totally. he wasn't his own man in a lot of ways. So yeah. it's a weird choice. Yeah. But was Henry Wallace just so objectionable? Yeah. Right? But also, you know, you're in the middle of the war, wartime, you know, you would think wartime would matter, even for a vice president. Yes. That brings us to Clement Attlee. So, <laughs> uh, Clement Attlee died October 8th, 1967. Clement Attlee, uh, by some regards, is one of the best prime ministers England had. Now, the thing is, he becomes vi the prime minister in 1945. Oh, no. <laughs> so you're like, uh-oh, how the hell did that happen? And I remember when we were in... London, we went to the, the, the Churchill War Rooms. Yeah, yeah. There's that whole museum, right? Yep. 
And it touched on this there a little bit, but I think they were trying to still be very, like, pro... It's not going to be critical of Churchill. Yeah. But it does very quickly mention, but, you know, as soon as the war is over, the war in Europe is over. Yeah. The Pacific War is still going on. <laughs> the British people are like, no. We're done. <laughs> we're, we're getting away from the Conservative Party. The hell with this. Which then removes Churchill as your, as your Prime Minister. Yeah. And he's replaced by Clement Attlee, who was the leader of the Labour Party. Yeah. This seems insane in, a, in in retrospect. You're like, how in the hell did this well, happen? Yeah. But So I really wanted to look at this because I don't remember that museum really explaining no. it terribly well and just kind of being like, yeah, this is something that happened. And then and then Churchill does become Prime Minister came, again. Comes back, yeah. Right. But the real logic behind it, from what I could find, was things that seem so ingrained in the time that now in retrospect it seems weird, but at the time you can kind of make some sure. sense of it. And the two key things were that there was... A, a real push for social change coming out of World War II. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, this isn't even necessarily, like, a rights issue. It's just sort of the, the way the old British society had functioned. Yeah. And there's um, there's the, a, a document, the, the Beverage document or something, that sort of goes into, like, how they want to modernize the way society functions. And Churchill was not really for this. Yeah. And Churchill sort of made, like, comments to the idea that, like, there might need to be, like, a secret police type. Not a secret Ooh. police, but, like, he uses the word Gestapo. Oh, no. And, like, people were like, this isn't great. No. But then the other thing was that they, because Neville Chamberlain was also a conservative. Yeah. It was the idea that they were then going to not punish them necessarily, but people didn't want to keep going with the conservative sure. party. Yeah. Considering the appeasement. Yep. Neville Chamberlain being the worst world leader of all time. Yeah. And then the way Churchill was handling this very brief post-war period. Yeah. And so, because he was still very much yeah. like, we should go attack Russia. Like, he was he was yeah. still in this war mindset. Yeah. And, you know, the polls leading up to this election, people still thought the conservatives were just going to win because Churchill was so popular. Yeah. And they were still pushing, like, most of the ads weren't even mentioning this kind of stuff. They were pushing the idea, like, we got to get the job done in the Pacific. But most people recognized Britain is not leading the charge no, no, no. in the Pacific, so yeah. this doesn't really matter. Yeah. And they wanted to start dealing with their problems at home. Yeah. Um, and so this is what happened. Yeah. And some of that, too, must be natural. Like, I mean, parties trade power back and forth. Like, right. that's the how conservatives have been in party for a long yeah, yeah, yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, that was clearly part of it. Yeah. Um, but Clement Attlee's whole run, then, is kind of consumed by Churchill. Like, yeah. he, he's, he's prime minister for six years. And this is all post-war years, so like this is a tough time in England. Yeah, you know, lend lease had ended, so all of a sudden it's like we got to get the economy back up and running, and yep. get everybody working, and parts of the country are destroyed, and we got to deal with this. So, yep. by all accounts, he did a, a solid job. Yeah, it was just by the time you get to the early fifties, it seemed like yeah they were tired. Like the, labor was just having a hard run of yeah. it, and like there was so much to do, and it was just everybody was like the cabinet was getting burned out. Yeah, and at least it seemed like it was burned out, and yep. the and so then. The, the they call for a new election and, and yeah. the conservatives got back in power. Yeah. And that's basically what happened. That's yeah. how Churchill gets gets back. But this isn't a period that people really talk about with Churchill because yeah. he's such a iconic world figure yeah. that the fact that he would lose this election seems so outlandish yeah. that I think it just kind of gets glossed over in most history. I do I know nothing about this, but I do think there's something to like the beating that Britain took in World War Two and the fact that they just sort of stayed as a world power. Like, yeah. really, I mean, I'm sure the experience of it was different, but, yeah. like, 
but they were broke. Like yeah. the country was broke. Right. Like, and but they're still Britain, you know, yeah, yeah. like and it yeah. doesn't seem like they lost a lot of standing or footing in Right. That. I mean the main thing was just that they lost the colonies. Yeah. Like that seemed yes. to be the key thing. Yeah. Like we couldn't continue after World War Two and all of that, like England can't keep India. Yes. Like they have to stop that. Yes. So like that I think was the main thing. Yeah. But but England never really guess, falters as a world power. I guess I always present that as like the natural course of progression yeah. where like obviously colonization is something that should slow or whatever like you should give those countries back to the people that live right. there right but that's probably not really what was driving it to your point right yeah. i mean i think it was you know general attitudes overall coming yeah. out of that war and things like that which all makes sense sure um but no yeah the fact that england rebounds the way they do i mean england then and now is never going to be a you know a, the, the economic leader it's yeah, too small for like, sure for, to, to compete with yeah. china or america yeah. places like that but it's, it's never just, lost its stature it's always right. it remains england and always will you have yeah. to believe after all these thousands of years yep speaking of politics well let's get back to politics let's get back to politics the last death we have to cover in 1967 sorry jane darwell a day a day after atley mm. on october 9th also my brother's birthday oh uh, 1967, uh, Cuban revolutionary Che Guevara mm. <laughs> died on 1960 in on October 9th. Uh, a a dorm room poster for all times for sure. Che Guevara. Yeah. yeah. So he was born in Argentina. He uh, he has kind of an interesting progression, but basically the the legend about him is that he had an affinity for the poor his entire life. He takes in his young life, uh, like basically a a bike that he attached a motor to all around South America. He goes to all these countries, goes to Central America, which like led him to write the motorcycle diaries that I didn't think I knew that he wrote. Okay. Actually. Uh, But he, and he sees like, you know, he's anti-capitalism. He sees all the, the poor and suffering people of South America and Central America. And he becomes this anti-capitalist revolutionary who comes to believe that the U S is basically like, manipulating leaders in all of these countries as the capitalist power in this part of the world. And he's not wrong. He's not wrong. No, he <laughs> yeah. comes to believe History bears this out. in the truth, which is, yeah. yeah. So, like, I'm trying to, sh- I'm trying to, like, uh, Cliff's notes, Che, che yeah. Guevara, but he goes to Guatemala. He helps with uh, a coup in Guatemala. Uh, and then he gets exiled to Mexico. He goes to Mexico where he meets the Castros, signs up to be a part of the overthrow of the Batista regime in Cuba. And they succeed. Yeah. He's a commander in the rebel army there. Like 2,000 people die in those in that fighting, but they do succeed to overthrow the regime. He's an officer and participant in the Castro gov- government, so you would call it, uh, for a number of years. Um, he is very involved in what to do with the people who were part of the previous regime. So he executes a whole lot of people. Sure. And then he starts to, like, uh, uh, Sarah's version, get bored of Cuba, and he starts to, like, dabble in revolutions uh, in other places. He goes to the Congo for a little while, um, and then ultimately goes to Bolivia mm. to try and build an insurgency in Bolivia to overthrow the government there. Ran into some challenges in Bolivia. Yeah. In that the people, there weren't as many people who were supportive of the overthrowing of the government as he expected. The Bolivian government may have been backed by the CIA. Sure. Uh, which is not even so great. And so ultimately he's captured by the Bolivian special forces and executed. So not only was Harold Holt killed by the CIA. Yes. Also, 
Che Guevara. Correct. Yeah. Both of them. Oof. Uh, yeah. He, and he die, He gets captured like th- two days before he dies. Mm. And then uh, they kill him on uh, October 9th. Uh, so it doesn't seem, at least from this perspective, that he had anything to do with mm. Eva Perón at all. People of Argentina, your newly elected president, Juan Perón! He was born in Argentina. But that's basically it. Yeah, yeah. that's basically it. I mean, I don't know... I know basically that character is based on him, but it's not, right? Like, he's not there at all. <laughs> It's like it's just a name, right? I think it's the idea of like Who of, he was. of the people yeah, and yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. And that is very much what's going on in Evita. But, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, that that always struck me as odd yeah. that he's a character in that yeah. in any way when clearly yeah. that's not it. Well, Peron like comes to power because of the like anti-regime kind of yeah. movement, and Che Guevara is very much uh, part of that. Yeah. He, and not just in Cuba; like he does this in in multiple yeah. countries and and influences movements in you know yeah. multiple places. Yeah. Well, solid, uh, solid work, Che. R.I.P. Yeah. Oh Jesus Christ! Well, that was. That was it, right? Uh, yeah, that's it. I mean, I, I'm all apologies to Nelson Eddy, but he's getting bumped. We don't have time. <laughs> we ran out of time. Uh, I mean, that that's all there is. So, uh, 1967. Yep. Uh, you know, I, maybe we maybe we save some some of the uh, reflections the reflections for episode 100, so we have something to talk about, and yep. the fact that we can get some of the people out of here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, here in this episode that has taken. Eh, about the amount of time it would take to watch, I don't know, probably the first Bourne movie. It's, it's, it's getting up there. But yeah, no, I think that, you know, 67, while it probably doesn't have the same kind of gravity for the people who, like, as far as the number of famous celebrities who died, then maybe 94 did. 94 yep. had was a little more yep. of that. Just because of, yeah. you know, Nixon and Kurt Cobain and all of that. yeah. Um, I still think it's an interesting group because, again, a lot of these people, I had no idea when they existed. Yeah. <laughs> like, a lot yeah. of writers and painters kind yeah. of all blend together as just names you know. Yeah. And so, but I think it's always of, interesting that way. Like, political and cultural significance that, yeah. you know, uh, in this group. Like, this is not an unimportant group of people. No. Oh, no. Yeah. Not, not saying that. I mean, it's just, I, I don't know that a year or any year, really, is often defined by the famous old people that died. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's usually kind of the shock or the tragedy. And yeah. and, and 67 doesn't have a ton of that. No. I mean, a little bit. Yeah. But Apollo 1 has almost just kind of, because it happens in 67, it gets swallowed up with the rest of the Apollo program. Yes, totally. So that's not something that I yeah. think resonates down through the years in the I, same way either. And I think because of the success of that program, it becomes a like sad stepping stone to the greatest achievement of mankind, right. which is a weird like dynamic. Right. right. Yeah. Well, like the I mean the fact that it doesn't slow down anything, right. you know. So yeah, so I think that, you know, that that is kind of an, an odd uh, wrap up in a lot of ways is is how how 67 is and and what we've kind of run into in a lot of ways is the same thing is that like I think the reason we picked this year was because it's a little underrepresented yeah. in what goes on in the late 60s yeah. and it's not 69 with all of that and it's not coming out of the early 60s and it's not 68 with all the assassinations like yeah, yeah. It, it, there's there's a difference to 67 sort of yeah it felt transitional I think for us right and as we talked about like what year to cover you know, sometimes one main event or a couple main events can overshadow the 
the holistic picture of the year. Yeah. I think that's why 67 felt right to us because it didn't do that, right? right like you right. had it had an an even set of very important and some like silly and not important events that happened that yeah. we could cover or people that we could cover that didn't feel like there's this one thing hanging over the right. season. And I think that's part of the reason we picked it. Right. And I also think, and we mentioned this in a recent episode, but it's the idea that when people think of the 60s as a decade, yeah. what they're really thinking of is this year. Yeah. Really. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's like, it's hippies, love, and it's all yeah, this other yeah. stuff. It's not Nixon yet. Yep. And I think like the 68 election and then all the assassinations in 68 yep. almost feel like a different yeah, that's thing a transition. altogether. Yeah, right. yeah. So I think that 67 kind of sits there yeah. as as the quintessential 60s year. Yeah. Considering the way people think about the 60s. The early 60s are almost the 50s. Yeah. And then once you get to Nixon, that's the 70s, you know? Yeah, so yeah. like it almost needed to have this, yep. you know? Yep. Um whereas I'm not sure 94 is the quintessential 90s no, year. No, not at all. But it had such a big cultural, you know, yeah. footprint in that decade that I think that's, you know, that was the difference, but doing season one of the show. Yep. Uh, anyway, so that's uh, that's it. That's the season. I mean, we we finally did it, and now we can move on. Yes, high five. Yeah. We can uh, we can we can move forward, and <laughs> you know, the year you got COVID, we can put that behind us. God damn it! And we just keep on <laughs> keeping on, man. We're just gonna just gonna make it happen. So Aww. I'm excited. So. Uh, I, thanks for hanging in. This is this is a long one. <laughs> I don't even know if Dave Garden's still listening. Oh, Dave Garden has turned this off. He has other, <laughs> he has a life. He has things to do. You know, he has a job. Mike and Nick have put are putting their kids to bed. They're not listening. <laughs> and you know, your mom shut this off an hour ago. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent easily. Yeah. So yeah. So tune in. Uh, next time, I'm not sure how close to this season they'll be, yeah. but close-ish. Next time. Uh, next time will be the 100th episode, and yeah. then uh, shortly thereafter, we'll be announcing season three. Here we go. That's it's. These are exciting times. Uh, 99 in the books. We did it. We did it. I'm so proud of us. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. You did so much work on I this episode. I did so much work. Proud. Yeah. You know what? Champagne time. Woohoo! Let's do it. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye, everyone. This has been... It happened one year. Please follow us on all the random social media sites that exist and rate us wherever you possibly can. That'd be great!